It's September 27th, 2022. I'm gonna open up the regular meeting for the city council. Can we have a roll call, please? Council Agency Authority Member Sullivan? Here. Richie? Here. Silva? Here. Roberts? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Stockton? Here. Mayor Chair Roulette? I am present. If you would please stand with me for a moment of silence, followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. Mr. City Manager, do we have any uh, uh, amendments to the agenda? Yes, Mr. Mayor. Um, in light of the uh, size and magnitude of the agenda tonight and the size of the crowd, um, I'd like to make a suggestion that we move items 9, C as in Charlie, D as in David, from the um, business items to consent. These items will still be acted upon council tonight, but just on consent. These should have been uh, on consent to begin with, so I apologize for that. Um, but these are routine consent items, so we'd like to move those to consent. Um, and then I've also received- that was item C and item- D is in David. Okay, thank you. And then in addition to that, I've received a request to see if we can move item 9G is in Guardian to um, the front of your public items. So following business from the floor before public hearings, we would bring that item up. I'll entertain motion. I'll make motion. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? It's unanimous. Can I have a motion for approval of minutes? Motion. Thank you. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Presentations, we do have one tonight. Proclamation, uh, Proclamation for Water Professionals Appreciation Week. Welcome. Uh, good evening, Mayor Millette, Vice Mayor Stockton, Council members. Uh, tonight you have a proclamation for the California Water Professionals Appreciation Week. It'll take place the first full week in October, the second through the eighth. Water service is essential to the health and success of our community. And Water Professionals Appreciation Week is the perfect opportunity for us to re reflect on the vital role staff plays ensuring our city has safe, reliable drinking water and wastewater services. Vacaville has more than 100 employees across the utilities, public works, and finance departments who work together to support 30,000 customers. Those employees include operations, engineering, maintenance, laboratory, finance, administrative support, customer service, environmental compliance, distribution and collection, and probably a few more. I would like to extend my gratitude and appreciation to all our dedicated employees who work 24-7 to provide critical services to our community every day. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do have a proclamation. Uh, water Professionals Appreciation Week, October 1st through the 9th, 2022. Whereas water is the lifeblood of California and without safe and reliable water, no community and no sector in the economy 
from high tech to manufacturing to agricultural can thrive or expand. And whereas California drinking water and treated wastewater meet some of the most stringent water quality standards in the nation, and whereas living in Vacaville, your water comes from nearly, nearby wells or rivers, many travel miles through canals and pipes to reach your tap. Your drinking water is filtered, clean, tested, distributed, and the process carefully managed and trained water professionals. Now, therefore, being it resolved, Ron Roulette, Mayor of the City of Vacaville, on behalf of the entire Vacaville City Council, do proclaim October 1st through the 9th, 2022, as Water Professionals Appreciation Week in the City of Vacaville and commend the city staff for the excellent service they provide every day to ensure the health, safety, comfort, quality of life for all of our residents in Vacaville. Come up. Thank you very much. Okay, we will move uh, to consent. And remember, we added the two items. Uh, does anybody want to pull any of the items off of the consent calendar tonight? Seeing none, anyone from the, from the public that wants to pull anything off the consent calendar? You do. Which one would you like to pull off, sir? Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, with that, I'll entertain motion from for 6A, B, C, and then also 9C, 9D. Oh, A, B, D, and also 9C, 9D. Is that a motion? Thank you. And I'll second. Okay. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. We will move to item 6C, and I'll give the mic to you, sir. Wanted to give the scouts their, their moment in the sun. We told you to come back and you came back and Councilman Silva to put you on the spot. Okay, he passed the mic to you, sir. Go ahead. Uh, hi, Sarah. So the plan was to not pull it. Oh, I'm sorry, I messed up the plan, I apologize. No, um, no, uh, just- It's exciting. Um, I mean, just a comment, you know, I'm, I'm, I think uh, a lot of us here on the council, a lot of us in our community are really focused on making sure that uh, we set our youth up to succeed and, and help them uh, help them out with endeavors to make a positive impact in our community. And uh, Sarah came up with this concept to lead a project uh, that's implemented in different cities throughout uh, this nation and world uh, to uh, bring pe people together to help beautify our community by painting a, a particular utility box uh, downtown. And so I've been really uh, impressed with her leadership and um, you know the just the comment on the scouts. I know we got some Girl Scouts in the house today, tonight too as well. Uh, but there's not many youth that are committed to this long term. Uh, Council Member Richie, you know, I think eloquently expressed that last meeting, uh, that long term commitment that not many students, not many, excuse me, youth uh, fulfilled by the time that they're 18. Uh, and the fact that uh, now that, um, not that I need to point it out, but that you're a female and that you're achieving that uh, rare, uh, rare occurrence, I think is uh, very commendable and I'm very proud of you. And, um, with that said, I'd like the motion to approve it. I'm going to open it up public if anybody wants to comment on this item. I'm going to close public comment and motion I'll take your motion. Second. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. Can't clap until we approve it. <laughs> All right, see you now. Okay, we will move to item seven, business from the floor. This is time to address the city council on issues that are not on this agenda, but are within our council magic, ma 
matter jurisdiction magic I see none. I'm going to close public comment. Sure. Come on up. I'm not going to cut you off. Okay, um, good evening city council members. My name is Sophia and I am a ninth grade cadet from uh, 20345. I would like to talk to you about our Silver Award project. So the Silver Award project is um, the highest honor a Girl Scout cadet can earn. It's supposed to be a, a long-term take action project versus community service, which is usually like a single event. So as we were deciding what we wanted to do for our project, we were taking walks throughout the neighborhoods, uh, parks, hiking trails, and the most repetitive uh, issue that we saw repeatedly, sorry, uh, was trash. So we decided we wanted to collaborate with a local park and we chose Lagoon Valley because uh, in my personal opinion, it is a well-used gem in our community. Good evening. My name is Kennedy. I'm also a ninth grade cadet from Troop 20345. This evening, I'm here to discuss with you environmental pollution and how it affects our wildlife. All different types of trash decompose at different rates, taking a long time to break down. If we want to continue seeing wildlife at our parks, then we need to pay more attention and care to our environment. As Sophie mentioned, we started noticing a lot of trash in our parks. So we're assembling a display board we picked out the, the trash that we saw the most. We'll highlight it and talk about how long it lasts in our environment in this outdoor display that we've assembled. We want to help people understand that their environmental impact and choose Lagoon Valley Park because it's a beautiful recreational resource for our community. Thank you. Um. Hello, good evening city council members. My name is Rasul and I'm also a ninth grade cadet from Troop 20345. And uh, we're today to ask for your support, actually. Once our project is completed, uh, we will install our display uh, board, like Kennedy said, in Lagoon Valley Park, at which with, and with the help of public works and the parks and recreation department, we will need help spreading the word, getting people to the park to see our display and watch our online educational video where we talk about the problem and how they can help us solve it. We want to inspire everyone to take action and be a part of, and be a part of the solution, not the pollution. And we all have a responsibility to the environment, to animals, and to each other. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak today. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Hello. My name is Patrick Murphy. Um, I'm with an organization called Sustainable Solana. Last year, we received um, a letter of support from the city to help us um, to assist us with a uh, project along the Rocky Hill Trail over in the Markham neighborhood. Uh, the point of this project is to provide the community with a water-wise native garden 
Um, it's a, a, just a general kind of beautification project. Um, everyone who we worked with in the city has been fantastic so far and really excited to help out with the project. Um, but we haven't actually been able to find just a single point of contact for the city to, you know, help direct us uh, throughout city government. Um, I just would like to express, you know, if anyone is if anyone is interested in stepping up and giving us some direction um, as we work with the city, uh, I would really appreciate it. You can reach yeah. out to me, Patrick at sustainablesolano.org. Reggie, yeah. uh, Reggie, are you in the? Oh, he's back here. <laughs> thank you okay, very thank much. You. I think he's coming. I hear him. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> Thank you, Reggie. Okay, I'm going to close public comment, and we'll move the item. Actually, we're going to move the item 9G. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This item before you tonight is a resolution of the City Council approving the use of the American Rescue Plan Act allocation and budget adjustment. Ken Metzmeyer, our Finance Director, is here to make a presentation. Thank you, Mr. City Manager. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the Council. As the City Manager mentioned, tonight we'll be discussing allocating the remaining uncommitted ARPA funds. And so to start, here's a timeline of the events leading up to this evening's presentation. Uh, the, city, the city received half of its ARPA funding allocation, 6.3 million in June of 2021. Staff research uses of the ARPA funds based on guidance available from the U.S. Treasury at the time reviewed what other agencies were doing sought input from all departments on ARPA eligible funding needs that aligned with council's strategic plan and then presented spending and public outreach options for council consideration in late October. As proposed in October, city staff partnered with Balancing Act to create and publish online surveys in November of 2021. And the surveys incorporated staff's recommendations on potential priority areas while also requesting other suggestions from the public for using the ARPA funding. Extensive outreach to get public participation was conducted throughout the months of November through uh, to January. move it closer and see if that's yeah okay is that better so to january 2022 also in january the u.s treasury issued its final guidance on arpa uses and then with the biggest change being the added flexibility to for each agency to take 10 million of its arpa funding and use for kind of general government service purposes in february staff presented the results of the arpa survey along with reallocation options responsive to the feedback received and in April council approved allocating 10 million of the city's total ARPA allocations to the priorities identified. In June, the city received its second half of our ARPA funding from the US Treasury and council approved an additional allocation of 155,000 for community engagement and neighborhood capacity building strategy for district three. And so this slide right here is a summary of the prior ARPA allocations. And so 4.3 million went towards infrastructure for the, the downtown area. There was $2.3 million allocated for housing and homelessness. So this um, encompasses a shelter and a day center in, in Backville and Fairfield, a contribution towards uh, one in Fairfield affordable housing. Um, for economic recovery, there was $1.7 million allocated for that with um, some of the uh, initiatives being workforce development, summer youth program, and that neighborhood capacity program that I mentioned earlier. For direct aid to households, there was 1.6 million allocated for that. This would be utility billing assistance and eviction, eviction prevention services. And then aid to nonprofits and small businesses, there was 200,000. This would cover grants for revenue loss and the shop local program. So that's that 10.1 million that's been allocated so far. 
So in addition to the ARPA funds, the city also received CDBG CARES grant funding of approximately 820,000, and that was to respond to the impacts of the pandemic, specifically on the most vulnerable members of our community. So the discussion of the CDBG CARES funds occurred at both the May 24th, 2022 meeting and on the June 28th meeting as well, resulting in the allocation of the funds to the following priority areas. So there's $250,000 that was allocated to mental health services, 200K for Opportunity House, 132,000 for homeless prevention, emergency grants, 75K for food security, and then 164,000 for planning administration. Which brings us to tonight. So the city has $2.5 million of uncommitted ARPA funds remaining, and staff has identified four potential areas to fund based off of feedback received for the, from the community survey and subsequent public and council comments following prior ARPA discussions. And both council and the community have expressed a desire to see additional funding in that aid to nonprofit and small business category, which we'll see reflected in these recommendations. The very first recommendation is to allocate a million dollars towards a nonprofit grant program. The proposed recommendation would set aside $1 million to create a grant program administered by the Housing and Community Services Department targeted towards nonprofits to serve the following populations in Vacaville, persons with disabilities, seniors, youth, homeless, and veterans, and the potential applicants would be awarded points and rank based on the following criteria. So their experience and capacity, their targeted income levels, projected measurable outcomes, proposed budget, project description, just to name a couple. The funding would be awarded starting with the top ranking application until funds are depleted and staff is recommending the maximum grant award be $100,000. The second recommendation is to allocate $1 million to a small business grant program. The proposed $1 million grant program would be administered by the Economic Development Services Department and expand on the initial $500,000 CARES small business grant program that was offered by the city at the onset of the pandemic. Funds would be widely available to all eligible vacable small businesses, regardless of any prior financial assistance they may have received, and staff is recommending the maximum grant amount be $50,000 and the program be eligible to small businesses in operation between 2019 through 2022 for at least one year. The next initiative would be a $300,000 allocation towards funding for the arts. This category would include two initiatives towards furthering arts in the city. <clears throat> so there would be one for a performing arts grant program and then funding to develop an arts and culture master plan. Uh, the half of the recommended allocation, so it would be split half of $150,000 for both. So half of it would go towards a grant program that's administered by the Parks and Rec Department to provide direct relief of rental and theater production costs associated with using the Vacaville Performing Arts Theater. And the arts community has been one of the most impacted sectors from the pandemic and the recent dis dissolution of the nonprofit organization that supported cultural growth arts on stage Vacaville has only further created a potential gap in financial support for new emerging artists and productions specifically wanting to use the VPAP for productions. The proposed grant, uh, grants would range from two dollars to $5,000. The other half of the recommended $300,000 would go towards establishing an overall vision, specific goals and projects, and identifying resources required to make the city a cultural arts center throughout the development, or sorry, um, through the development of an arts and culture master plan. Some of the benefits of an arts and culture master plan include enhancing the quality of life for residents, increasing equity and inclusion, facilitating opportunities for innovation and collaboration, increasing tourism-related revenues. If this initiative were to be approved, the next step in the process would be issuing a request for proposal to solicit consultants for the development of the plan. And then the final category is an allocation of the remaining ARPA funds, 265,000 to go towards reimbursing a portion of the city's unreimbursed pandemic related expenses. So some examples of the costs that would be offset include on-site testing at City Hall, 
at additional janitorial and staff expenses incurred for the testing site at the Harvest and Event Center, and then COVID-19 related sick leave. So the recommendation would be to approve the recommended allocations for the remaining 2,565,000 of the ARPA funds. And then we'd be happy to take questions. Good to start. Hello, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Leslie Silver. I'm a resident of Vacaville and I own a managed School of Rock, which is located downtown at 322 Parker Street. I'm here tonight to encourage you all to vote yes on the recommended allocations for the city's remaining ARPA funds. The allocation of an additional 1 million in ARPA funds for small business grant program will have a significant impact on the small businesses who have experienced so many difficulties related to the COVID-19 pandemic and that have been working tirelessly to stay open for the last two and a half years. Now in recovery mode, we need your support more than ever. School of Rock Vacaville opened on February 29th, 2020, just two weeks prior to the COVID shutdown. We were very proud to enroll 60 students at our grand opening on February 29th. It was an incredible accomplishment and it was not an accident. We spent most of 2019 generating over 700 leads by participating in community events all over Vacaville, Winters, Dixon, and Fairfield. School of Rock is a performance-based music education program. Our students learn and grow through a combination of private lessons and group rehearsals and performances. When the government order to shut down all non-essential businesses was announced in March of 2020, our 70 students dwindled to 30, and we were only able to offer private lessons online. Recreating what happens in a group band rehearsal inside the walls of our school is not possible on Zoom. However, we were committed to keeping our 13 passionate and committed staff members on board. Staying open was extremely difficult during this time, but we were determined to survive. We spent a lot of time, energy, and money, over $500,000 building out our school. Everyone who visits our 4,500 square foot building is amazed at the transformation we are able to achieve in a building that sat empty downtown for two years. Parker Street has become a vibrant part of the downtown community and our school has been a contributing factor to the area's rejuvenation. I invite all of you to come take a tour if you haven't already. After the pandemic hit, we sought out any resource that we could possibly could help us. But given that we were a new business, we could not show any loss from the previous year, making us ineligible from, for support from almost every COVID relief program. Whoops. What you are considering tonight could lead to a significant investment in our locally owned arts and youth development program, as well as other small businesses like ours. This would serve as an investment in the city of Vacaville's mission to understand and balance our citizens' needs, desires, and resources to achieve the highest possible quality of life for the overall community through the provision of excellent services and pursuit of our vision. Furthermore, this investment will work to meet the city of Vacaville's strategic plan goals of strengthening the local economy, protecting Vacaville's quality of life, maintaining effective and efficient services, promoting community engagement, and increased equity and inclusion. In addition, supporting School of Rock, Vacaville, and similar locally owned small businesses demonstrates an appropriate and best use of, am I done? Okay, one more paragraph, or is it done? All right, I've never spoken so fast and I apologize. Thank you. Uh, my name is Daniel Spadero and I'm a 15 year old student at Vacaville High School. I'm also a School of Rock student. 
I signed up for lessons at School of Rock right before the pandemic, just before everything shut down. If it weren't for music and having a creative outlet during the lockdown, I think I would have gone crazy. I was able to do my guitar lessons online and interact with my teachers and other bandmates. Belonging in School of Rock is important to me. It's like no other school in Vacaville. It's a place where kids of all music abilities can learn and appreciate rock music. The school unites different people and creates a very good community. Parents come together to cheer their kids on at shows. Families, students, and staff have formed bonds over music. It's fun and everyone is very supportive. I look forward to all my lessons and gigs. School of Rock encourages creativity, discipline, leadership, and problem solving. I'm very happy to be part of this community. I've grown as a musician, as a person, and I'm always learning. The importance of music cannot be denied. And I'll leave with a quote from one of my favorite musicians and guitarists, Jimi Hendrix. Music doesn't lie. If there is something to be changed in this world, then it can only happen through music. Good evening, council members, uh, Mr. Mayor and Mr. City Manager. I'm Anna Eaton, Chief Executive of the Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club, and I'm here to reaffirm our request that $1 million of the ARPA funding provided for COVID relief for the city of Vacaville be designated to the Building Brighter Features campaign. Our very bold vision to build a new clubhouse and serve an additional 120 youth daily. The building will be purpose designed to serve an after-school program with 8,000 square feet of indoor classrooms and a large capacity kitchen with a 4,000 square foot outdoor multi-sport court on Brown Street. I'm joined here by various cross sections of our community. Most importantly, some of our club kids, club family, board members, committee members, business owners, and leaders within our community. Will you please stand or give a wave so that council can recognize you? As you consider staff's recommendation, I ask that you also consider that allocating the requested $1 million to the Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club capital campaign will make a large and noticeable impact on our city, which is what ARPA funds are supposed to do. Spreading the same money out to many organizations will have very small and short-term impacts. Supporting the Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club means a visible and long-term contribution to the community. These are some factors I hope you will consider. The clubs currently serves 463 Vacaville kids and families from all across the socioeconomic statures. Supporting the, the club means serving all residents in our city. Additionally, while many services closed during the worst of the pandemic, the Boys and Girls Club made adjustments and stayed open to serve those most in need and support those that Vacaville needed most. Teachers, first responders, medical staff, and others considered essential. Supporting the club means supporting all of our community servants, not to mention we kept our staff employed and off the strain of the unemployment system. Our city's residents and businesses have already said that the Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club is worthy of support as demonstrated by our fundraising successes. Already the largest charitable campaign in Vacaville's history, both in dollars and number of donors. We have secured over 50 donors making gifts between 5,000 and 500,000, as well as many more donations up to $5,000 from a larger number of our community residents. Supporting the Boys and Girls Club means supporting the programs and services that our residents have chosen to give their volunteer time and their charitable donations to. 
Designated the ARPA, designating the ARPA funds to the club means that our club will finally have a permanent home that all of Vacaville can be proud of. This facility will have three large rooms designed for STEM, creative, and performing arts and technology programming and allow us to serve. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, my name is Addison Sheridan. I'm 12 years old and I'm a student at School of Rock Vacaville. I believe arts programs are very important. Students who participate in art, music, theater, or dance are more likely to succeed in school and are a lower risk of getting involved in drugs and alcohol. The influence of an arts instructor or mentor can help students live positive lives and gives them a safe place. School of Rock provides a safe place for all of their students, including myself. Music and the arts are all about inclusion and bridging divides. We perform songs by diverse groups of artists. I personally have learned about so many artists and their histories that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. School of Rock is a place that supports and loves students for who they are, regardless of anything else. The feeling at School of Rock is one of family and connection. School of Rock has helped us as a family to be more engaged with local businesses and fostered a love for our community. The house band performs at, and we have end of season shows at, local establishments that we would love to revisit. Some of these venues we only learned about because of attending a School of Rock show, and we have revisited many times after. During and immediately following the pandemic, kids like myself didn't have a lot of outlets. We hadn't been in school and couldn't participate in extracurricular activities for a very long time. I think we would all agree that COVID took a mental toll on youth. Being a teenager is tough enough at the best of times. The arts give young people an outlet for difficult feelings they may not be able to put words into. I know for myself, I dealt with a lot of anxiety coming out of the pandemic, and I'm grateful for the songwriting program at School of Rock for giving me a place to channel that productively. I know I'm not alone when I say I'm grateful for all of the arts programs in Vacaville. Hello, my name is Aaron Kitsis. I am, uh, I'm a, I've been living in Vacaville since I was born. Um, I graduated from Wilsey Wood in 2020, and I'm a music student at Sacramento State University. As a sophomore in high school whose love for all kinds of music and instrumental performance was growing with every playing opportunity that I got, I was, let's say, horribly affected by the pandemic. Um, this upward staircase of musical experience and excitement that I had been traveling on since I found my love for my instrument, which is drums, had been sliced right in front of me and broken. Dealing with life in, in the pandemic was, let's say, quite hard <laughs> to, yeah. Um, I have a very good friend that I've had since freshman year of high school. His name is Zach Silver. That last name might be familiar to you because his mom is Leslie Silver, the founder of School of Rock Vacaville and the general manager. In July of 2020, he encouraged me to join School of Rock since I was a musician in this really sad and hard time for all musicians. And that was probably the best decision I have ever made, or one of them. Um, the program takes you in, and it's a place where everybody's accepted. Everybody, no matter what problems you might have at home, if you're on the spectrum, no matter what problems that you may 
have to endure in your life, you have a home at School of Rock. I'm sure my friend Danny could confer. Hey, Danny. Um, School of Rock has done lots of things with other local, somewhat local School of Rocks, like School of Rock Elk Grove and School of Rock Roseville. We went on tour last summer to Los Angeles. This is the t-shirt from that tour. And then from this last summer, we went to Las Vegas. And might I mention, we played at this place where uh, called the Viper Room in Las Vegas. And just two weeks after our performance, I saw the Jonas Brothers were performing there. I was like, whoa, we were there before them. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but just to sum up all my points into one, School of Rock has been amazing for me. And it's been amazing for everybody that I know that goes there. Hi, I am David Rogers. I'm the Managing Artistic Director for Starbound Theater. Um, I just wanted to start by thanking you guys for uh, taking some of the recommendations I brought a few months ago as far as grants for subsidizing the cost of VPAC. Because as someone who's been there three, show, three shows now this year, it's been expensive. Uh, so um, really quickly, I just wanted to... I mean, you guys are hearing how important the arts are. You guys know. So I don't have to lecture you guys anymore. Um, the arts are important. Um, I just hope that this is the beginning of the conversation for the future of the arts, that we talk about future funding opportunities for the arts, that this is just the stepping stone. So when we're talking about investing money in the master plan for arts and culture, I hope we're bringing all the arts groups into the room to have the conversation, not spending money on an expensive consultant who doesn't live here, but really focus to the arts groups here and hear what we have to say. Um, so thank you for uh, investing. I totally support the money in the, uh, for supporting subsidizing venue tech, uh, subsidizing VPAT, not venue tech, I'm sorry. Um, and Trey and I have been in this community bringing arts to kids for 20 years each at this point. So we've been around the block. We know what is needed. Um, so I hope that we get brought into the conversation and, and let's really make art accessible and inclusive of everybody. So um, with that, the only other thing is I'm gonna continue to poke the bear about making Andrews Park more accessible for performance venue because I would love to bring more theater to outdoor venues, but um, we need more uh, equipment, accessibility, uh, infrastructure and all that to do what we would like to do. So thank you for your time. Real quick, hi, my name is Faye. Uh, I run Bliss Urban Arts Center here in Vacaville, been around 20 years. I just wanted to add to, you wanted to say something about the restrictions on the VPAT subsidizing? I think you forgot about that. Oh. You didn't, he was like uh, saying like, if it's only for nonprofits, but like I'm a sole proprietor, so that would have, wouldn't even benefit me whatsoever. But like COVID, obviously just like everybody else, we plummeted into the red in order for me to keep my doors open to even provide to the kids in the community and be their mentor, not just their dance teacher. I need to keep my doors open. I need to get out of the red. So for me, I would prefer receiving a grant straight up so that I can get myself in a better position and possibly save up towards a better building because the size that I have now, I'm not fully able to serve my community with and I'd eventually like to grow. So I just want to also add that. Thank you guys so much. Good evening. My name is David as far as I'm the board president for the Vacaville Boys and Girls Club. I apologize, we went a little out of order. Anna went and uh, I didn't get up in time, I guess, a little slow. But uh, as a board president of the Vacaville Boys and Girls Club, I speak on behalf of our board and ask for your support in the building of our new Boys and Girls Club 
facility on Brown Street. I just wanna say that the city has been very helpful in the past and continues to be a big part of our success. Our current club on Holly Lane was made available to us by the city many years ago, and we have remained at this location during the past two decades. It used to be a 7-Eleven, if you don't remember that. Due to the age of the building and the success of our organization, we have, quite frankly, outgrown it. We have embarked on a new challenge to build a new facility, and I'm happy to, to report that we're close to achieving our goal. Currently, we're at about 90% towards reaching our goal for funding of this brand new facility. With your help, we can reach our goal and begin building within the next year. We have an, we've had an overwhelming support from local families, businesses, public agencies in our effort to build this new facility. I hope you realize how important our value is to the city and to our families. We provide much needed care, love, guidance for our community. And with your support, we, we will be able to continue to serve our youth and families for many years to come. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Lou DiBartolo and I'm here t for the Boys and Girls Club. Um, it's something that's near to my heart. Um, I, I am an alumni from Boys and Girls Club growing up in the city of Chicago when I was a kid. And I know the importance of what this does and how it can keep the children in a good place. A lot of things I do at my business is support when it comes to kids. I believe they're our future. I'm a firm believer to help the kids any way possible. I mean, 463 families we've taken care of. During COVID, we were still up and running. We have eight facilities that the kids are running all around. This, this is a very big project. Um, talk about diversity of families and kids on this. Um, our group of committee, we're all very diverse from very different factions of our professional lives. So we are committed and we've raised quite a bit of money and it's very, very impressive because I've been on things before. To do what we've done to get this point, you guys can get us over the hump. And I know how important the city puts out for every one of us, but this is gonna help the city in a long way to get the facility under one roof, support these kids, um, whatever it takes for kids, I'm on there. And, and we got a generation here and there that goes haywire, but you know we gotta straighten them out, fix things up. So please think about that million dollars um, in your hearts. If you wanna change it, go higher. We're all for that. So thank you for listening. And this is something that's very, very near and dear to us all. And it's gonna be something special for the community. So thank you. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. It's the first time in, in 11 years that I've been before or behind a podium and a microphone, although I used to do it weekly uh, in my former job. Um, I've been on the board of directors, uh, I'm currently vice president uh, for the last nine years, and I've had the pleasure of being the chair of the Building Brighter Futures campaign. And I'm pleased that we've had over $3 million of commitments already from community leaders and individuals within the community towards our effort to build the new facility. And I think they see the benefit of the, the Boys and Girls Club meeting the needs of the children of this community and with the new facility, we'll be able to more than double our capacity to meet even more needs in the future. So I would strongly encourage you to recognize that benefit and to invest $1 million for the betterment of the community of Vacaville, which you represent. Thank you. 
Good evening. I'm Melissa Reeves. I'm the president and CEO of Visit Backville. I'm actually here at this moment and on, at the podium um, to talk about the arts strategy. I can't underscore, clearly there's a lot of importance on the arts played this evening. And I just wanna talk very quickly about the fact that the importance the arts plays on building our quality of life, celebrating our culture and heritage in Vacaville, and that it provides a positive economic impact and community vitality, promotes economic um, equity and inclusion, celebrates our culture and heritage of our community, enhances our cityscape through placemaking and identifies and defines roles in the arts and cultural governance, implementation and promotion of the arts in our community. Um, we have had a very big role in the arts in our community. We host Arts Week, which actually is just wrapping up now. Um, we have a committee called VACA, the Vacaville Arts and Cultural Alliance, and we work very closely with the Parks and Recreation Committee and uh, Parks and Recreation um, Department, I'm sorry, and the Arts Advisory Committee on building the arts in our community. And I think we need this strategy to continue to build that in our community. So we hope you'll consider that as part of the plan. Thank you. Um, good evening, uh, my name is Brooke Fox. Um, thank you very much for this opportunity tonight. I just want to speak on behalf of the arts community. I wear many hats in this arts community. Uh, this is my hometown. I grew up on the stage in Vacaville. And so I'm very um, honored to be able to serve it and to move the needle forward for the arts community. Some of the hats I wear, I, uh, I'm a private voice teacher. I, uh, I do after school choir directing. Um, I work with, I'm on the museum board of trustees and I'm also here tonight because I am the newly appointed chair of the Arts Advisory Committee for the City of Vacaville. So, um, and as many of you know, during my time as Downtown Executive Director, I learned firsthand about how art in public places can transform and move the needle and really enrich a community. So, um, I'm here to say that should the council shoot, uh, choose to pursue funding for the development of an arts master plan, I look forward to digging in, bringing all the arts communities, uh, uh, folks to the table, the stakeholders, marshalling everyone and working together to come up with a plan that really moves the needle and enriches the cultural arts in Vacaville. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Council and staff. My name is Ryan Bates. I'm the vice chair to the Arts Council. Um, so the Arts Master Plan really is to serve as a guide for the support of art and cultural development in Vacaville. You know, it's really that simple. Uh, ultimately, the success of the plan requires a collaborative effort and partnership among the city, local leaders, arts community, the development and philanthropy around our community and county. With the plan, the Arts Advisory Council will have specific goals, identify clear projects, and that will make the city shine. Uh, if we want to be the California Center for Biotechnology, Center Capital of California, sorry, that's a hard, that's a hard sentence there. Um, but if we want it to be that, we have to show that. We have to look like that. You know, so being a, being ahead of um, art installation during the construction phase so that we can have a plan of what that's going to look like in our biotech areas and in the devel development areas around uh, the areas that we're developing now. Um, the plan's primary goal is to enhance the artistic identity and cultural life of Vacaville for its residents, businesses, and visitors, visually depicting what Vacaville looks like as how we feel it looks like, right? That's what the goal of the plan is, and it gives us a roadmap to do that. Thank you for your time. Hello, my name is Nicole Maneri, and I'm a Vacaville resident of 33 years, and my 13-year-old daughter, Taya, is a vocalist at the School of Rock, Vacaville. 
I'm here today to let you know how much School of Rock has impacted our lives and request that you approve the proposed small business grant program. When my kids were younger, I told them they needed to be active in sports. This was a good fit for my 12 year old son who started sports at three. Ataya tried sports, but this, was, this wasn't her thing. Singing on the other hand was. I swear she was singing as she let out her first cries at birth. She was, she was always singing as she grew up. She enjoyed participating in chorus at her elementary school. And when she was six, she started taking vocal lessons at a church. This was her sport. But when the pandemic hit, her lessons moved online. This did not work out for us and made me reevaluate how to support Ataya's journey as a vocalist. I could see that she wasn't really going anywhere or learning much in her frequent uh, virtual lessons. The vocal coach said Ataya was excelling so quickly that there wasn't much she could teach her that Ataya hadn't already learned. I started my search for a music program again, hoping there was a program that could help Ataya get to the next level. I looked to the prior year and there was nothing, but this time I found School of Rock Vacaville. They had opened just before the pandemic hit. Natalia signed up for a free lesson and we checked out the school. They had all the COVID protocol gears up for the in-person lesson and we wore masks. I was very comfortable with all the protocol measures that the school had in place and we signed up and it was the best decision we ever had. At School of Rock, Natalia has learned much about being a vocalist. She has learned she has lessons, rehearsals three times a week and performs at a stage at least three times a year with a group of kids. This, was brought, this has brought so much confidence to my daughter who was a quiet and shy child who is now performing in front of an audience, making friends and growing into a strong vocalist. She even auditioned for and was invited to join the School of Rock House band Glass Cactus. This has boosted her love for people, music, and herself. There is no other music education program like this in our community. Believe me, I've looked. Atai was not drawn to sports, but she found the music and, it was, and this is what has fed her soul. School of Rock's music program has helped my daughter gain confidence, grow friendships, learn discipline, powerful study habits, practice leadership and teamwork, relieve stress, find a creative outlet, practice listening and social skills, social skills and the list goes on. In short, School of Vacaville has changed not only my daughter's life, but our whole family dynamic as, as well. Without School of Rock, my daughter wouldn't be learning and living her best life possible. I urge you to take action tonight to support the small businesses in our special community, especially businesses like School of Rock that bring the art to our young people. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sarah Simmons. I'm here tonight to offer my support for the proposed allocations of Vacaville's remaining ARPA funding, including the $1 million to be invested in the small business grant program. My family has experienced the tremendous benefit of one specific small business that needs your support. My two teen sons are students at School of Rock Vacaville, which we have come to count on as a place where they not only learn about and practice the art of music, but are also presented with countless opportunities to learn and practice life skills, like communication, teamwork, leadership, organization, and so much more. The school is a safe space where our kids can explore their creativity, connect with their peers, learn from great mentors, and be part of a community. Through shutdowns, distance learning, and isolation, the School of Rock has been a constant, a touch point, a home base, and a source of energy, even when things were virtual, masked, or moved outdoors. The school is also a place that allows kids to find and grow their confidence, challenge themselves, and define and achieve their own versions of success. At a basic level, it simply nourishes their human need to be seen and heard. 
especially during a time when they have been feeling so invisible and silenced. At the School of Rock, kids feel accepted, included, and recognized, especially those with special needs, like our neurodivergent 18-year-old. School of Rock Vacaville is truly changing and saving lives. We've come to know Leslie Silver, owner of School of Rock Vacaville, and understand that her vision to continue with this phenomenal youth development and music education program in our community has been challenged tremendously by the unlucky timing of the pandemic. Like she said, she opened the doors of her new business just days before the COVID-19 shelter-in-place order was issued. For the hard work, dedication, and refusal to fail that has kept School of Rock Vacaville going for two and a half long, difficult, unprecedented years, Leslie deserves every recognition, congratulations, and commendation. What she also deserves and needs is financial assistance. Her program is the reason that many of our region's children and teens get out of bed get out of the house and get out of the pandemic funk that continues to plague so many of us. An investment of ARPA funds in School of Rock Vacaville will not only provide direct response to the negative economic impacts of COVID-19 on a locally owned small business, but will also address public health needs, especially mental health, and target a disproportionately impacted community, children and teens. I strongly and respectfully urge you to approve the allocation of an additional $1 million of your city's remaining ARPA funds to support the small business grant program. And when the time comes to award the maximum grant to School of Rock Vacaville in order to sustain this essential music education and youth development program, which is bringing so much to our community. Thank you. Hello, how you doing? Uh, my name is Jeff Simmons. I'm a parent of two amazing students at the School of Rock Vacaville, one of which is on the spectrum and currently employed uh, by the school. Um, I'm currently the operations manager for Marianne Nut Company. I've spent 15 years before that developing Starbucks stores, and before that I was a small business owner. I'm not here to share my resume. However, I'm here to speak up as I understand from all of these experiences the challenge of operating a business in the time of crazy headwinds. The importance of developing a community of businesses that offer services and products that are relevant and important to the community and finally, the grit you must have to run a small business. The last few years has been unbelievably challenging. Many businesses, let alone brand new businesses, threw up their hands during this challenging time. However, Leslie and her amazing staff refused to let this break them. I want each of you to know that this is a great business investment, a solid investment in the community, and a life-changing program, program for so many young people in our community desperately needing our support. Leslie may or may not share that she was recently awarded Rookie Business of the Year by the School of Rock Corporate. She's 100% committed to this school, our children, and this community. I urge you to approve the $1 million of ARPA funds to support the small businesses in our community. Thank you. And typically I wait till the very end, but I'm gonna jump in because uh, and I thank everyone uh, for being very patient and letting everyone speak. Um, I am going to urge this council tonight to accept everything besides giving the money to the city. I would like to swing the 265 over to the nonprofit. I would like to up that number to a million uh, because I'd love to give it to the Boys and Girls Club. And I'm not gonna make it in a formal motion, but I just want you guys to know my recommendation for tonight. Council Member Sullivan. 
I think, uh, Mayor, I, I have some similar thoughts and comments. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of go through my, my thoughts in, in order here. Um, so the first is um, the art funding allocation. Um, as, as much as I think that we need a master plan of sorts, it just feels really um, odd to spend 150,000 on consultants and 150,000 on kids, um, especially for a plan that's gonna sit on the shelf and collect dust. So I'd like to see 100,000 of that plan funding shifted back to the funding for the arts piece. So it'd be a total of 250 for the actual groups providing the arts and the services to our kids and, and, and the artists and 50,000 for, for the consultant. Um, I think we can get a, a good study for 50K. And I think honestly, 150K is overkill. So my first request would be to shift that 50 in the funding for the arts section. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, shift 100 to the actual funding directly for the arts programs. Um, I, the second piece, I completely agree with you on the, the COVID um, incurred expenses. The city had a great year. We had a million dollar surplus this year in the general fund. We're doing very well. We survived COVID. We made some really smart financial decisions. This council has been really good. As much as I'd love to put that 265 back in our coffers, I think it makes a lot more sense going somewhere uh, where it's actually gonna benefit the residents that, that need those dollars. So I'd like to shift that 265. I'm kind of sort of in line with you, Mayor. What I would like to see potentially is 200K to the nonprofit bucket and then 65,000 back to the arts bucket because it still is pretty small. So it'd be a 65 shift. Uh, I, I didn't go to, uh, I wasn't an accountant, but we can add up all the math in just a second here, but 65 shifting to the arts funds that would actually go direct to arts programs. 200K to the nonprofits is what I'd like to see. Um, one comment that I, I would like to send to staff out there is making this as flexible as possible. We don't wanna set up a program that has all these roadblocks and catch 22s. We had one speaker talking about, she's a sole proprietor and she might be boxed out. We've heard this last time we had the small business loans, amazing local small businesses for some technicality were boxed out. So I really want staff to design this as flexible as possible for a business like Miss Silver. She's a business, she's an arts nonprofit. She's an amazing human being as well and all these different things. I also want her to be able to apply for different pots. So there should be some flexibility between those pots. If she gets a small business grant, she could still apply for a VPAT grant to subsite, you know, something kind of flexible there. I, I am pretty close to align with you on the Boys and Girls Club. I, there are some other amazing nonprofits here in town that, that aren't here tonight. We got letters from a couple of them. I would like to issue 700,000 to the Boys and Girls Club and leave the remaining balance for the other nonprofits. I agree with you, I think it's vital. My only concern is can you guys spend it in time? Because there is a time clock on, on the ARPA. So I would say 700K and I love the Boys and Girls Club. It's just, we have the Mariposa Center and the Levin and Opportunity House, all these other nonprofits that also need some funding. So I would be comfortable with 700 tonight. Um, that's that's kind of what I think would be a great mix. So that, that's my thoughts. Member Roberts. Yeah, um, most of my thoughts are very similar to what the mayor and council member Sullivan brought up. Uh, the, the city reimbursement, as far as I'm concerned, um, that's money already spent if we didn't have ARPA. We'd, we're still able to cover those costs. Um, with those costs, I like breaking down the 265, I wanted to see two, or 65,000 going back to the, the arts, expand that out just from performing arts to also include arts and public places to help grants for murals and uh, similar art projects like that. And Moving the other 200,000 to the Boys and Girls Club as difference from the uh, nonprofit grant. Um, I mean, Anna and Louie both know I'm a Boys and Girls Club alumni. It's done a lot of good stuff, but like they've mentioned, can't justify giving you all the, the money because there are other nonprofits that do great things in the community that need some love as well. And so those are just uh, um, my thoughts on that. And 
uh, kind of like what uh, Councilmember Sullivan brought up regarding the the master plan for arts and public places is I should, yeah, I do think 150,000 would be expensive, but I don't know what the going costs those are. I'd like to see no more than like maybe 100,000 or, and then anything left over can go uh, back into the grant, grant program. Um, yeah, over just about a million dollars for the, the nonprofit grant is, I mean, it's a lot. I don't know if a lot of the local nonprofits will utilize all that. And I know the cap is $100,000 right now. Uh, will there be a time limit for an application period? So if there's unused funds, can other nonprofits reapply after a timing window or a window of application if it's not fully utilized? So we'll have to monitor the progress on that because as it was pointed out earlier that these funds have to be encumbered by 2024 and then have to be fully expended by the end of 2026. So um, as part of our quarterly budget update to the council that we promised you, we'll continue to give you progress reports on how this money and the applications are progressing. And if there's uh, some adjustments that need to be made as a result of that, because some areas are slower than others, we can certainly bring that back to council for future discussion. Yeah, because that divine if yeah, it's not being utilized and we want to make sure that it's reopened to people that will utilize that money. Yes, I'd like to applaud everyone that came up and spoke. Um, I thought that was outstanding. Uh, the only question I have is if we do not allocate the portion that's supposed to go to our city staff, is that going to have a negative effect on our ability to um, provide services to the city if if we don't allocate that, that money there? Because I know that we, we do have some, you know, I want to make sure that we can still have people at the desk for different it will not. Okay, thank you. That's it. Um, Council Member Silva. <clears throat> thank you. So, uh, will there, can we please just clarify for the funds? So, would this be eligible beyond nonprofits as proposed? Are you talking about this, the nonprofit grant program or because there's small business? No. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a grant program for small businesses, there's one for nonprofits. Um, the arts one doesn't specify kind of if both would be eligible for that. And so there's different programs, I guess, for whether you're a nonprofit or a small business. So a sole proprietor or LLC or uh, what about uh, martial arts? Would they be eligible for this? Yeah, I think for the small business, I don't want to speak for economic development services department because they're the ones that are going to administer and run the program. But I don't think it's going to look at what type of business it is. It's going to judge it on whether or not it's a small business. Okay. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. So other questions I have, can you please clear, or Aaron or whoever, um, can you please clarify the costs for the master art plan, master plan for arts? So when we were exploring this particular project, um, we worked with um, folks, well, our representative from Visit Vacaville on this particular project. Um, so oh. since since she's volunteering to come up, I'm gonna ask her to come on up if that's okay. She knows the particulars, but this is something that um, we have asked um, Melissa's uh, help with in terms of the scope. So it's not something that I believe is something that's real short and sweet because we're asking them to look at the totality of the subject, the governance, um, the, the existing structure, 
the alternative structures. You've heard tonight from a variety of different folks that say that they want to Im include the entire art community. Um, and so that's a big task. And so uh, to coordinate outreach and all those type of things and the deliverables as well as build a governance structure, um, the 150,000 in my experience is, is warranted. So, and I actually did do the outreach to the consultants um, for that pricing. And so, like Aaron said, it is it is the totality of our arts program. So it is looking at bringing all of those groups together, figuring out how VACA and the Arts Advisory Committee work together. Most important, a lot of that extra that I think you mentioned and Councilman Roberts is for that public outreach. I think that's the most important part is making sure that we are listening to our community and how we wanna build the arts in our community. And I think that's a lot of time here talking to our arts groups. There's a lot of arts groups in town, which is amazing, but I think hearing all of their feedback and making sure that they all have input into this greater plan is why that a little bit of extra, uh, a little extra spend, but I think it will give us a strategy to build the arts in our community in perpetuity. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sorry. Yeah. You're right, you're okay. Couple more comments. So, um, okay. All right, um, so uh, I'm not gonna play around with the numbers situation. Y'all confused me on that one. So we'll wait to see how that goes fall. Um, I think I'm inclined to honor uh, our staff's recommendation to get a legit master arts plan is something that I constantly hear that's desirable. Uh, from our community. I uh, just had a conversation earlier today about sculptures uh, and actually uh, creating this, uh, having actual, an actual space for that. Um, so I think uh, it's a bit unfortunate that uh, a lot of our, um, you know, I, I think our, you know, our town's pretty big on sports. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty obvious. And I think that there's a lot of, like I expressed today, there's a lot of different avenues for our kids to feel welcome and inclusive by other means. Um, and, uh, and I think our arts, uh, from what I've witnessed these past couple of years and uh, getting to know a lot of people um, just as, as a regular, as a regular mic, um, it's been, it's been, it's been um, you know, it's, it's important that we have places that, that really truly embrace the different interests that, that, um, that we have here uh, and the impact that it has on, on the lives of, uh, of our youth and our adults together as, as a community uh, is something that we absolutely, I feel uh, that we can, should support however that may be. Um, when it comes to Brown Street, uh, we haven't had a discussion on this as a, as a city council. Um, my concerns with that is uh, number one, um, us allocating funds and a building not being built. My other concern with that is that we have a building uh, with limited space that doesn't serve all of the needs as we even heard today uh, from the different needs that need to be addressed. Um, what I would consider, what I would propose my city council members and even to the public to consider is whether or not we actually use measure M funds to supply, to, uh, to discuss measure, using measure M funds, not only to uh, build a structure there that would house Boys and Girls Club, but also address other needs that exist, not only just within that particular neighborhood, but throughout the town. Uh, I have needs, I, I got issues with uh, certain teenagers. Um, those teenagers have different interests, um, different interests with different, uh, different kids to pursue, um, you know, different activities, adults, they're interested in uh, having a place and space for that. We don't have that in that area. Our Measure M hasn't gone towards establishing any type of structure uh, whatsoever. Uh, more recently, we've allocated funds for, you know, for lighting, uh, for some, uh, for parks, but for an actual, uh, you know, uh, sticks and bricks or whatever you want to call it, an actual structure, 
Uh, I'm I'm very interested in uh, seeing what the council would consider as far as building something more robust to to be more collective. That area is getting purchased up um, for more money than I think we'd ever think it would be, uh, and it's only a matter of time before that area gets redeveloped. And I want to make sure that the needs of that growing community and our city are met. So, thank you, Councilmember Sullivan. I want to take a stab at a motion, but Wiley wants okay. to talk. Councilmember Wiley. Uh, thank everyone for being here to give your comments. I do feel like the ARPA money is important to use for the maximum impact for youth and families and all the programs that were brought up here today um, do that. So it's important to serve the people in Vacaville. Uh, I appreciate the input that we got. In 2000, you know, the schools have lost a lot of the art programs, even back when I was teaching when we had lost money in 2009 and they have not gotten the art programs back in a lot of ways. So I do think it's important to have that as a community uh, option for people. As a parent of band kids, I know how important that is. Um, and the theater and music classes and activities that kids participate in as youngsters and teens are something that makes a lifelong difference. You know, people continue to appreciate music and theater and participate in it in a different way if they had the opportunity to do that um, as a young person. So. I do feel like the biggest issue that we need to do is have clear communication for all nonprofits and all small businesses. So whatever money we divvy up, it has to be available and people need to know about it. You know, some other people knew that we were having this discussion tonight, they would be here advocating for their nonprofit or their small business. We are really happy to have your input tonight, but when we put it out and decide on those numbers, we need to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to apply easily. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to actually make the motion and then um, and I'll leave it open for discussion. But I would like to motion uh, that we uh, transfer the 265 uh, and give the city zero over to the nonprofit grant program um, instead of a maximum award would be uh, up to a million dollars case we can give it to the boys and girls club but i understand that we have a process not going to be handed over tonight uh so that'd be uh one million two hundred sixty five thousand i'd stay with the one million for the small business but i want to take uh the suggestion from council member sullivan be very flexible so people can come in and, and do multiple things i really do appreciate everyone that came down and I, i'm going to come down and see that place because i heard it. it's amazing uh funding for the arts we'll keep it at three hundred thousand I really would like to knock the money off, but it sounds like everyone's on board with that. So I'm gonna keep it as is. And then uh, that's my motion. So I'll entertain a second. Yeah, city gets nothing. For the plan? Oh no, this this plan would stay as as is, funding for the arts. Thank you. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Great, it's unanimous. Thank you very much, Council. We don't have to read anything. We just move forward, right? Thank you very much. All right. That's how it always goes. It's always amazing here. Okay, so now we're going to back to our crazy agenda, and we'll start with item 8A, and we'll wait for the Council to clear. Thank you.
No, do you need to go potty? Go potty. You go potty. It's gonna be a long night. Oh, here, pass this down. <laughs> oh, it's gonna create a. Okay, thank, thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This next item before you is a resolution for approving the environmental assessment and conditional use permit for Fairmont Square project. We have our uh, planning department represent, represented by Albertino and Aaron Morris. He's just introducing it. You'll hear him right now for a little while. Uh, thank you, City Manager Bush and council members. Uh, the item before you tonight is the Fairmont Square Plaza project. Specifically, this is a request to construct a 2,500 square foot drive-through restaurant and renovate an existing 7,900 square foot commercial building located at 521, <clears throat> 521 Peabody Road. It does include an exception to city standards. The applicant's requesting uh, to not have to underground overhead utility. Need some water? Excuse me. <clears throat> the applicant is requesting to not have to underground overhead utility lines. Uh, this entitlement includes a categorical exemption and a conditional use permit request. The project cites a 1.42 acre site. As we mentioned, it's a 2,500 square foot new drive-through restaurant that the applicant's proposing to construct at the site and also renovate the existing 7,900 square foot building. This renovation would re, uh, redesign the existing lot to provide 82 parking stalls, two trash enclosures. It would provide access primarily off of Marshall Road. There is another driveway off of Peabody Road that they're proposing to close, but there are joint use agreements to use another uh, driveway that's on the adjoining parcel. Uh, the project includes a contemporary design, and as we mentioned before, there's an exception for undergrounding overhead power lines utility lines. This shows where the project site is with the northern boundary along Marshall Road and then Peabody Road uh, to the left. You can see that new drive-through facility fronting along Peabody Road. There was, uh, there would be a driveway that's proposed to be closed and then you can see the existing building and the uh, parking lot area in the center that would be reoriented or re-lotted to provide uh, those 82 parking spaces. This is the proposed building with a contemporary design that is for the new drive-through facility. And this would be the resurfacing or the redoing of the facade for that existing building. Uh, as part of the development review process, there are some conditions of approval that the applicant is contesting regarding the exterior enhancements. Staff added a condition of approval to add secondary exterior materials on the elevation. Currently, the proposal is to only have stucco on the siding. Staff believes that it would be uh, a better design to provide a secondary material such as wood, metal siding, masonry, stone, or tile. The condition is written to al allow for any kind of secondary material. doesn't specify exactly what it needs to be. Uh, the applicant also expressed an uh, issue with uh, condition number 18, which requires that if there is a conflict between the conditions or the project plans, as those plans are submitted to, for building permits after the entitlement is issued, that the conditions would prevail. Uh, and then there's condition number 43 with a requirement to underground the above ground utility lines and the applicant is requesting to have that removed and uh, is asking for an exception to that city standard requirement. The utility lines are located along Peabody Road frontage. 
this item went to the Planning Commission for review uh, on August 16th, and the Planning Commission voted 6-0 to recommend uh, something to the City Council to approve the project, but also to remove Condition 5A, which requires those exterior enhancements to the elevations and also require uh, the Planning Commission felt that it was necessary to remove Condition Number 43 for that undergrounding overhead utility line. So that was their recommendation. So the conclusion for the uh, City Council is that the Planning Commission recommended approval of this project uh, based on the following, that it meets the required findings for approving that conditional use permit, it complies with general plan and zoning requirements, it complies with development standards, includes uh, well-designed structures and site layout, and approves the appearance of the shopping center. I will note that the Planning Commission's recommendation was to remove condition 5A and then condition number 43. So with that, uh, the recommendation that's been forwarded to City Council is that by simple motion determine the project is categorically exempt from CEQA and to approve the conditional use permit for Fairmont Square subject to the revised conditions of approval that removes 5A and 43. That concludes our presentation. The applicant is also here to answer any questions. Great, thank you very much. I'm gonna open it up for public comment. Um, good evening, um, city council members. It's probably been 12 years since I've presented to you. My name is Rob Sesser. I'm a local architect with A2R Architecture um, here in town. And um, it's kind of wonderful to finally be before city council again. Um, we started this project back in February of 2021 to get to this point. This is an unusual site, and unfortunately, the city of Vacaville is full of little sites like this all over the place. This was originally a round table pizza, which had all sorts of parking associated with it. So we have this huge sea of parking with no landscaping and a building that was designed to function as a restaurant. And it hasn't been a restaurant. There's no way we're ever going to get a 7,900 square foot restaurant back in that building. So the applicant and I got together and we brainstormed this idea to come up with a pad building out front and use up this parking space, add a lot of landscaping, add some better security light. Um, as you can tell by the site plan that we don't even own the property behind the building that goes up against the old Cinema 8, which is now a, a church. Um, the neighboring site, which is a 99 store, we've talked to the owner and working with him now, and he would like to do an addition too, but he sees this very prohibitive to have to underground the power lines um, for him to do something similar to upscale this site. This is a very much an underserved area of Vacaville and very hard to get tenants to want to move in here when they have other options within our city that would probably be better for their businesses. And so that's why we're asking for the two exemptions. Um, we're not asking for money. We're not asking for any relief of any type other than the construction costs that are associated with the two items that the planning commission forwarded on to you recommending that we do, we not do those two conditions. Um, as a personal note, as a resident of Vacaville and knowing some of the other sites that are similar to this in the neighborhood that haven't been upscaled in any way, and maybe some of our city standards don't apply to these, these sites in these neighborhoods, and to get investment into some of our underserved areas, um, maybe there should be some sort of a um, staff look at some of these sites and come up with some recommendations to make it easier to develop and, and improve these sites, to get lighting, to get electrical vehicle charging stations that would come with our project, to get some of the new things that are required in the building code 
by maybe overlooking some of the things that are very expensive, like undergrounding utilities, uh, phones, cable TV, everything that goes with undergrounding power lines. Um, and, you know, staff has worked with us in, in coming up with ideas on making some of the other improvements less expensive so the client could afford it because rents in this neighborhood aren't the same as if you were right <coughs> on an exit way. So um, I think the Planning Commission's recommendations and my clients are here and they asked me to speak for them. Um, but if you need <laughs> any questions of the clients and the owner of the facility, they're here to ask, answer any questions you may have. Thank you very much. Okay. Any other comments tonight? I'm going to close public comment. I'm going to bring it back to the city council. I'm in a good mood tonight. I already know I'm in the doghouse with you, but I'll do my best. Um, I, uh, I uh, Stephen Power, and I represent Care Property and Investments Corporation, which is a holder of one of the uh, properties across the street. And, and we don't have objection to this project, but there are two observations we'd like to, well, we have in one sense, I, I don't think that the undergrounding ought to be waived. I think there's issues connected to fire safety and just the, the requirement of having undergrounding is 50 or 60. I mean, when my dad was alive, it was, that was just curb gutter sidewalk and undergrounding. So it's a very, very old <coughs> requirement. Um, the city or the state is mandating all sorts of other requirements that I think should be waived as a developer and property owner. Wow, why did they do that? But undergrounding is sort of fundamental. <clears throat> I am making that. I'm not in any way criticizing Rob Sesser or his firm. As a matter of fact, I have a conflict of interest. They've done a wonderful job for us on other projects. They're a great first rate local design firm, so it doesn't speak to that. Um, the biggest issue for me as a, as a citizen and property owner is that I agree with Rob that this is sort of an underserved, hard to serve area. I'm, I'm wondering, and this is before I got involved, where the city was when, when we'll see wood developed. I mean, that, that intersection is horrible. It's just a horrible mess. And if it were cleaned up, and, and one of the <clears throat> affiliate companies with TEAR, the developer of that mentioned to me that he had a development plan for that intersection 20 years ago. So in, in the I'm wondering if that was brought up. I don't know because I wasn't part of, apparently the schools don't even need to bring an entitlement to the city. I, they go through the state. But that was, if, if we'll see Wood was entitled without any upgrades, it was a huge loss. And that, upgrading that intersection would have done more for all the property values than this sort of relatively minor issue of the underground. Other than that, we don't have it. You've cut me off. Yeah, I'm, I'm cutting you off again. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Well, with that, uh, I, I wish you uh, consider the underground favorable. If, if anyone else is going to speak, please just jump in line. Hello, Mayor. Hello, sir. Hello, Council. Um, the underground is a very expensive for that location. And uh, if they are underground, city want that one that cannot be afforded by that my brother. I'm talking about small community businessman. He's a very small man. He cannot provide that facility because uh, that liquor store has a small liquor store. They are almost uh, 50, 60 year old. If he can put the underground, that's a too expensive 
you have to look about because it can afford only small portion, not a big amount of money. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna close public comment. I'm gonna bring it back to the city council. And I believe council member Sullivan was up first. Council member. This slide with the conditions, the two conditions that we're waiving. taking a second here. Um, so my, my question, I primarily, um, the undergrounding piece, I understand. It's a really weird area too, because the undergrounding basically stops right on their border. So it's kind of a weird spot. Um, the questions I have though, is the exterior enhancements question. Um, can you kind of explain staff vantage point on that or your view on that? And I did think, that, I thought the planning commission actually was a one five or a one six vote. I thought my commissioner actually voted against it because of this exclusion. Can you tell me staff's take on that, what that actually means, what that doesn't mean, how often we do this for other developments? I do sort of feel like, you know, just because it's a lower income neighborhood, you know, doesn't mean we should get lower income buildings or lower quality buildings. And so can you give me kind of staff's take on this, what this actually means and kind of how often we actually make this exclusion for other developments? Yes, and to your point about the vote, yes, you're correct. It was one uh, count, one planning commissioner that did not vote and was because he wanted to see this condition on there and also the utility line. So to your point on the reasons why we have these additional materials is we've learned over the years that providing multiple materials adds varying textures to buildings. It adds a variety of design and streetscape appearance. And when you have one material that's on a building, it reduces that design. We've implemented this through a variety of different uh, projects. You'll see at the nut tree that you have multiple buildings that have varying textures, a varying, varying building relief and building heights uh, for our smaller projects, the Dollar Tree that's just down the street. We've been implementing this uh, particular type of, type of standard with multiple uh, building facade and different types of materials. I think Dollar Tree was a 2020, uh, 2012 project. So it's been some time that we look at individual projects and we evaluate them and look at surrounding buildings. And we also uh, try to improve upon what our previous projects have been to try and provide a unique project for this particular area. Have we, do we waive this on a regular basis for other developments? Is this a common thing or is this fairly new for this? Do, do we waive it? Do we waive this requirement for other developments? Have we done this recently? Planning, no. No, usually uh, these level projects uh, can be staff level review where we're working with the applicant to implement conditions of approval. Uh, and sometimes they're agreeable in other cases where you have a project that goes before the planning commission because it's a drive-through facility. Uh, the, the, this can be contested. Usually it's not architectural elevations. It might be other improvements that are required, but in this particular case, it has to do with architectural improvements because of the cost. Okay. And so are staff are supportive of this proposal? This is what the planning commission submitted? This is what the planning commission is proposing, but condition number 5A and condition number 43 are two that staff has indicated should stay, but the planning commission's recommendation is what we're forward to city council. Okay. So staff are actually recommending 5A stays? Correct. Okay. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, um, regarding the uh, exterior enhancements, uh, like I know you guys are recommending to keep going with that one. I know there's two different buildings, just main building and the drive-through. Uh, with one thing is I don't want to see them spend money on the drive-through building that they don't have to, because depending on what business goes in, they may rebottle the exterior anyways. Uh, so that'd just be like essentially money wasted for the, the business owner. Uh, as for the undergrounding, um, unless we're requiring the adjacent buildings or adjacent property owners and businesses underground as well. I don't really see that as a fair request. 
And I personally think PG&E should be involved with that and contribute to undergrounding their own utility lines. But those are my thoughts. Um, and that, yeah, I'm good with uh, waiving the undergrounding until we figure out a better plan with the adjacent properties and hopefully PG&E as well and continue with exterior enhancements. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and make the motion. Um, I'm gonna motion to approve, but I am, um, I want the enhancements. I want to make Vacaville look better and I want them to bring that neighborhood up. So I don't wanna remove the that, but I do agree with council member Roberts. I'm not gonna make one business owner go and ground all that. Of course I want it grounded. I want every line grounded, but it should have been as the development went through, everybody should have been grounding it. Obviously it wasn't back then. I'm not gonna put it on this business owner. So I'm gonna say uh, remove uh, the grounding but keep the exterior, and that's my motion. Thank you. I have a second, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous, thank you very much. We'll move on to the next item, 8B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This next item is two appeals of the Southtown Apartment Project. Once again, Albert Eno and Aaron Morris are here to make a presentation. Thank you, city manager, and again, council. Uh, this item before you tonight is another development project, but it's an appeal of the Southtown Apartments. Uh, before we get into the application and the appeals, we felt that it was necessary to set the stage for everyone to understand where Southtown came from, uh, what's going on with it. So and we'll start with April 2004. The original project was approved, consisting of 280 acres, had a range of units that could be developed from 1193 to 1357 units that included single-family development, multifamily, commercial, public park, and a fire station. Uh, at that time, there was a development agreement that was also uh, adopted for the project that vested the entitlements for its project, which included density vesting. Uh, one example of that was at that time, the high density was vested at 14.1 to 20 units per acre. So as long as that development agreement was active, uh, those densities that were in effect at the time that that general plan was in effect would continue to be applied. So between 2005 and 2014, there were multiple tentative maps that were approved, starting with phase one, then the Moody property, which is now Vanden Ranch, moving on to phase two and phase three, which you'll see is currently uh, undergoing grading activities. Phase one is that redstone development that occurred uh, by Tripoint Homes. It's right next to the subject site. 2014, Magnolia Park was completed. That's phase one. There is a phase two component that's across the street. Um, and then in December of 2017, another notable change that occurred was Ashton 3, which was a tentative map that was approved. There was a portion of commercial that was identified within the Southtown development across from the fire station. And the request was to get rid of that neighborhood commercial development and put uh, single family uh, houses on that. Uh, the last notable change we wanted to bring to, the, uh, to note as part of this presentation was in June 2021, the development agreement expired. It wasn't terminated, it wasn't, uh, uh, ended, it was just expired. Sometimes these things have a life shelf and um, when extensions are not provided and they're not made at a certain time, um, these development agreements just expire. And so when that occurs, things that are, were vested in that development agreement, such as density, reverts back to whatever the current general plan is in effect at this time. Another example, high density was originally at 14.1 to 20 units per acre. The most recent general plan, in effect, at the time the development application comes in, is now 20.1 to 24 units per acre. So that's Southtown. 
Now, the project that's before City Council started in April 2022 when the developer submitted their, their tentative preliminary application, which is an SB 330 application under state law. Uh, what that allows them to do is submit the information that's required by state law, which is not always the same stuff that we have as part of our uh, submittal application, but what it does is allows them 180 days to submit all the remaining information that's required by city staff and allows them to take advantage of whatever development standards were in effect at the time of April 2022. Staff worked with the applicant to uh, collect the remaining information by May 2022 with their formal application submittal. From there, city staff held a neighborhood meeting on June 2022, which provided the uh, provided neighborhood feedback and information that helped inform the applicant about particular issues that needed to be addressed in preparation for going to the planning commission meeting, which occurred last month in August. Following planning commission's decision, two appeals were filed within the 10 day period. And that leads us to uh, the city council meeting that we are here for tonight. A little bit of information about the appeal process. City Council is now the final decision maker authority because of these appeals. Uh, they're the decision maker for the appeal themselves, both of them, as well as the land use request that is before the commission, which is a planned development. So our presentation tonight will review the project that uh, falls within the authority of the City Council now, as well as uh, we'll review the Planning Commission's action, we'll review the appeals, and then we'll offer staff's recommendation on those appeals and our analysis and response on that. So the request for the project, it is a request to construct 236 units for an apartment project on a 9.91 acre site located at the northwest corner of Leisure Town Road and Redstone Parkway. There is an environmental assessment associated with this project, as well as the land use entitlement, which is a planned development. As noted before, it's an SB 330 application, which state law has certain protections for housing projects such as this one. This is aerial imagery provided uh, that shows what the project site looks like. You can see to the right of the screen, Van and Ranch, which was the Moody property. Off to the left, you'll see uh, the Redstone development, uh, Southtown Phase 1A, and then you'll see along the northern boundary that there is that New Alamo Creek Canal. More information about the project it is that 9.91 acre site with 236 units, yielding 23.81 units per acre. General plan identifies that they can develop 20.1 to 24 units per acre is what's allowed. The applicant's proposing 468 parking stalls. Uh, 71 of those would be on street, 397 would be on site. Uh, the project provides 14 three-story buildings with a clubhouse. Floor plans for those individual units would range from 744 square feet to 1477 square feet with primary access on Leisure Town Road and secondary access on Burgundy Street. Uh, the applicant is proposing a farmhouse style theme for this particular project. This was a graphic provided by the applicant that shows the layout. You'll see Leisure Town Road to the bottom of the screen with Burgundy Street to the top of the screen and the clubhouse centered in the middle. Townhouses are fronting along Burgundy Street, a couple at the entrance, while the larger buildings are the apartment style uh, projects. So the elevation uh, show what the proposed elevations would look like with board and batting and lap siding primarily as the exterior elevations with composition shingle roofing on the top balconies for the townhouse style designs with individual small low front yards uh, for those units. So the planning commission's action uh, uh, was interesting. We, uh, as part of their action or as part of the, the night where we presented this project to the planning commission, we collected public comments 
which involved a variety of particular concerns expressed by the public involving parking, uh, uh, involving traffic and circulation around the project, involving the potential future tenants and issues that might be uh, uh, with those tenants. And there was also concern about access to the project, secondary access on Burgundy Street, as well as uh, some signage that was originally required as part of the Redstone development Southtown Phase 1A. So at the end of the night, the Planning Commission made a decision on the project and they voted four to three to approve this project. They added one condition, which was to remove four parking stalls on Scarlet Street. As part of the uh, presentation, as part of the discussion, staff was informed that there were four parking stalls located along Scarlet Street that needed to be removed in order to be able to ensure that there was going to be safe exit from Leisure Town Road on a Scarlet without any vehicles on that portion of the street. So we identified that and the commission uh, added a condition to the project to make sure that those parking stalls would be provided on site and the applicant indicated that they could be provided on site. So following that decision, two appeals were submitted. The first being the applicant, TA Leisure Town LLC, and the second being Alicia Minion, which is a representative of Friends of Southtown. Appeal number one submitted by TA Leisure Town LLC was about condition number seven, specifically they would like to have this condition removed and it requires the applicant to join a CFD or provide alternate funding for um, police and fire services. We looked at the applicant's um, appeal uh, and addressed particular comments that you'll find in the staff report, but it boils down to this, is that the original Southtown Moody environmental impact report identified that there would be additional impacts and needs to public services for fire and police because this area at the time of its development was just pasture land. There were no homes, there was nothing out there, so it was going to increase the demand for public services for fire and police. And so as, uh, as a way to identify how it would address those things, the original project description for that environmental impact report identified that the way that they would solve it was uh, creating um, but providing additional funding services for fire and police, and that would be handled through a development agreement and the creation of a community facility district, which is known for this one, CFD 11, which is the one that the applicant is requesting to not be part of. So the EIR identified that the way that you resolve this is the applicant would at that time participate in creating that CFD that would eventually fund police and fire services. We also identified that was also identified in our planning commission uh, report and the city council report that this requirement to be part of a community facility district is part of the general plan. It's required that any new development comes in here uh, needs to be part of that. And you'll see that uh, in the other Southtown projects, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase one A, which is that Redstone development in Southtown Commons, which is Man and Ranch, all those as they were proceeding with development in their tentative maps were conditioned to annex into that community facility district 11. So this is just being consistent with those previous developments uh, and there's, you know, there's just really no evidence that was submitted by the original appellant and by the original applicant that shows that um, not being part of this CFD would result in no impacts to fire and police services. So that was staff's uh, summary of our response to the initial first appeal. Uh, we will note that we wanted to bring to city council's attention a proposed revision to condition number seven to make it more consistent and reflective of what the original Southtown Environmental Impact Report says. And you'll see the strikeout lines on the screen. We're recommending that instead of it saying in accordance with the mitigation requirements identified, 
but instead it should say, in accordance with the project assumptions documented in the South Town Moody Project Environmental Impact Report, because it assumed that there were gonna be impacts, but also assumed that the developer would participate in this community facility district and that funding would be provided to the services, which means that there would be no impact. The remainder of the condition would remain the same. Bill number two, which was submitted by Alicia Minion, which is uh, representing Friends of Southtown, identified a number of issues, and that's also included in the staff report as a separate attachment staff provided a more detailed response. I won't go through each of these points, but mainly it revolves around that the um, uh, appellant believes that the applicant can't even submit a development application with the city and can't do business within the city, that there were issues with the public notice, that the city's housing element states they can't have more than 198 units on the site, that the project itself would be detrimental to public health, safety, and welfare of the community for a variety of reasons you'll see on the screen, uh, that the project adds to the existing issues with fire evacuation that was experienced by the LNU complex fire, and then the Southtown DA expired, which prohibits development on this site. Uh, staff prepared a response again it's more it's in greater detail as part of the attachments we won't grow into great a lot of detail about these um, but essentially our findings and the responses identifies that um, that there wasn't any merit as part of those uh, appeal points that the uh, second appellant provided that the forfeiture of their business status doesn't prevent them from submitting a development application that there was enough information with the public notice to uh, provide. There was even a map that was identifying where the project site was located. We looked into the housing element. There's nothing that really limits the count for uh, the proposed unit count. Um, and then there's plenty of evidence within the South Town AIR to say that um, there wouldn't be any uh, issues created by this project that would be detrimental to the public health, safety, and welfare of the community. Uh, it was noted that this evacuation, that this particular project would exacerbate existing issues with the evacuation routes, but we looked into this and, and we found that the Solano Civil Grand Jury uh, issued a report from 2021 to 2022, and uh, the finding didn't have anything to do with traffic or circulation or getting in and out. It had to do with other issues uh, that um, played into problems with the LNU complex fire. And then our last identification was that the expiration of the Southtown DA, it really, just because it expires doesn't mean you can't develop at the project site. Uh, any development would have to comply with whatever standards or development standards are in effect at the time the application is submitted. So with that, there is a conclusion at the end of all these appeals and that we still find that the project is still consistent with that Southtown Moody EIR as conditioned to annex into that CFD 11, that the project complies with the general plan policies, uh, complies with the zoning ordinance that rates, meets the required findings for approval for a plan development and also provides more rentable housing with that, we have a recommendation for city council by simple motion to deny both the appeals, to reaffirm that original environmental impact report, and to approve the plan development for the Southtown apartment subject to the conditions of approval as we noted revision to number seven. Great. That concludes my presentation. Applicants also, both the appellants are here uh, and they also have presentations. How do you have 17 out of 15? That's what I wanna know. Okay, so I believe we're gonna bring you up first. I have that mic. I don't have that mic. Okay, great. No, I can't hear you. Is it this one right there? 
him. You're almost out of time. No, let's wait. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, council members, I just wanted to, before I start, I wanted to let you know that the slides has some additional uh, testimony and evidence because I had made records requests and they didn't come in until after the appeal deadline. So you're gonna see some new information that the staff didn't present. And Mayor Rowlett, my understanding is they get 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna, before you say, I'm gonna set the timer because you know how I am. It's already going. No. Yeah, you're 30 seconds in. Okay, Run. never mind. <laughs> Okay, great. So I, I wanted to give some background to council as well regarding the, the Southtown apartment site is zoned residential height density for multifamily. So um, it's a 2004 project and it was approved as a master plan. So it wasn't just apartments, it was a pretty wide area. And um, what was also approved as part of that master plan is a plan development. There was a permit issue. The plan development actually established design guidelines. So the plan development is the project, that's sort of the cake. The design is the icing and the decoration on the cake. There was a 2004 resolution for the Southtown project plan development that is available on the city's website under the Southtown apartment a portion of the website and that plan development is still active. It changed the general plan. Council has not deleted it. The development agreement that the staff is saying expired, only the things within the framework of the development agreement expired, the plan development did not expire. So, so because the plan development is still in play, the applicant purchased land with a 2004 project. Those approvals that happened in 2004 run with the land. So there is still local control and these design standards still apply. Yes. Um, I will let you know. Okay, next slide. I was speaking off, off the slide. Okay, so let's start with what we would like. And so I obtained input from some of my neighbors and they may not all agree, but I think this is gonna be a best outcome under the circumstances. So number one, we're asking that the Planning Commission's decision to approve be reversed. And so their approval for, for a plan development and their reaffirmation of a 2004 EIR. We're asking that council void the Tekken and Associates application, uh, the planning application was for design review because at the time of the application, they were forfeited by the Franchise Tax Board and you're not allowed to conduct business, among other things, in the state of California. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so what we're asking for is duets and townhomes for purchase, that's the missing middle. If it's absolutely impossible to obtain that project, then we'd like the multifamily apartments to be 
that's designed to be consistent with the 2004 Southtown Plan Development Guidelines. And I referenced a resolution, and we'll talk a little bit more about details later. Um, we're asking that a new environmental report uh, be conducted to analyze public safety issues concerning cumulative impacts, traffic, and parking hazards. We're also asking that the maximum height of the multifamily buildings not exceed 35 feet. The EIR in 2004 actually states that in this particular multifamily structures will be two and three stories, the maximum height, 35 feet. Okay, next page, please. All right, we're asking that the two-story apartment or townhomes be placed all along the streets. We're asking that um, the same stone wall that's constructed around all the developments in the South Town area, that same wall be surrounding the entire project and that the entrance on Burgundy Street be completely eliminated. We only want the entrance and exit to be on Leisure Town. Uh, in addition, no off-street parking, all parking on site. We'd like the units reduced from 236 to 198, which is consistent with the housing element. And as you know, the housing element is the general plan and the housing element considered parking when it said, when it actually determined the 198 units. And then we're also asking as long as the neighbors pay CFD number 11, for that is for impacts for fire and police, we would like the apartment owners to pay CFD number 11. So we're not in favor in some alter, alternative funding. They must pay the same taxes that we pay that pay for the impacts. This apartment is 200, proposed at 236 units. The redstone development surrounding it is 141. This project is massive and they will have greater, much greater impacts than what we, than, than, than our neighborhood. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so there's lots of threats in terms of threat of litigation under SB 330, you've had a separate training on 330 and basically the message staff is sending, you don't have any choice, you have to prove this, there's very little discretion, if you don't do it, they're gonna sue you, there's gonna be $10,000 fine, blah, 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 at the end of the world, not true. And basically you have to lose the case, show that you've acted in bad faith, violate a court order, and the fine only comes into play with affordable housing, this is luxury apartments. Um, and the council still has lots of discretion. And this is, again, a 2004 project. SB 330 does not eliminate those laws. Okay, next slide, please. So this is a flow chart on the Housing Community Development website, and it's a decision tree for SB 330. And we don't have time to go over it now, but I encourage you to look at it. But basically what this shows is on the left side, that applies if this is affordable housing project, which is not. On the right side, it shows you um, okay, for example, are there any safety issues? Yes, well then you can approve to deny. And the safety issues, there's this term called adverse. The way this particular guide defines adverse is, is not cosmetic. So it doesn't have to be a toxic waste site, okay? So anything like safety in which we have great concerns with regard to park, or traffic circulation and parking. Okay, next slide please. Okay, so here's the reasons, reasons to reverse the Planning Commission's decision. Next slide, please. So uh, the applicant, Pekin Associates, applied for design review only. They did, not design, they did not apply for a plan development because it's already been approved. The design review is different from a plan development. Again, it's the icing on the cake. The project is baked, plan development, everything is baked. The cake is there. 
they asked for decoration and icing. No other boxes on the application were checked. And there's, there's a box for plan development, not checked. Next slide, please. Okay, there's a picture of the application and you'll see Tegan and Associates and you'll see they're asking for a design review. Um, next slide, please. And then as a, an attachment to the application, their consultant also provided a description of the project and the very last sentence, the paragraph, it says, the project is being submitted for design review approval only as all other entitlements are in place. Okay, next slide, please. So again, the applicant unfortunately was forfeited at the time of the application. It doesn't matter if they're in good status now. What matters is what business were they conducting at the time of the forfeiture and this application is voidable and unenforceable. Next slide, please. And this is just, actually we're gonna skip over this just given the lack of time, thank you. So SB 330 may not apply. Again, the project was already approved in 2004. The applicant did not apply for housing development. Housing development is defined as uh, means, means a use consisting of residential units only. This is a design review, not a project. Approvals for the use of this land were already in place. In addition, we reviewed the SB 330 preliminary action, uh, application, which is required before you can consider this particular um, uh, design review under SB 330 and the application was incomplete. What's required is that if the um, applicant is an LLC, you must show all the names of the owners, their names, their addresses, their signature. And the only thing was provided was the name of another LLC. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so again, the project approvals already occurred in 2004. The general plan was amended to include the project prior to the development agreement, outside of the development agreement. Um, there was already, there was, there was a permit um, issued and established certain land use regulations and development criteria. And the project approval has already been made in the past. Again, this was an application, again, for design review. The design review is an, is an approval in the process. It's an approval after the project, after the project is approved. Um, can I, You're halfway how much time? You're halfway through. Halfway through, okay, great. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, um, you can skip this slide, please. Okay, great. So, so you can't have your cake and eat it too. So the applicant, what disappears is the applicant wants the benefit of a new project with new standards, but they don't, but, but they want to use an 18 year old environmental impact report and analysis of impacts. The 2004 EIR has different standards for density, parking, traffic, uh, traffic analysis, and different standards create different impacts. Planning Commission approved a project with new standards and reaffirm, reaffirmed an old EIR. The choice is either new standards and new EIR or old standards and old EIR. But because the plan development is still in effect, we need the 2004 design standards and then the EIR 
just need to be updated with regard to parking and traffic because in the EIR, it indicated that Jepson Parkway had not been constructed. It is now, it required mitigation monitoring. I have no idea where that analysis is, but this needs to be done. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so the project does not meet objective project design standards. So just to be clear, SB 330 does not supersede existing, the existing design standards under the 2004 Southtown project approvals. The proposed apartment design does not conform with the 2004 plan development design standards. The proposed off-street parking, which originally was 71 spaces, is a safety hazard and it does not conform with the 2004 standards. Um, next slide, please. So we did a comparison just so it seems a little more clear. So on the uh, left side, we have the 2004 design requirements. On the right side, it's the current proposed design. So on 2004, the project should not be detrimental to public health, safety, and welfare. Um, the density is 14.1 to 24 acre units per acre. On the proposed design, it's 23.8. Um, uh, 2004, we have 35 foot anticipated height according to the 2004 EIR, but on the proposed design, it's a maximum of 46 feet and 43 feet for the townhomes around the perimeter of the, uh, along the streets. And then what's interesting too, is the 2004 guide, uh, design guidelines, it, set, it states that the residential high density lot, this particular lot, it must be on a minimum of 10.7 acres. In the 2004 EIR, originally that project was planned on 12.4 acres. Somehow it shrunk. I don't know why, I looked at the planning file, couldn't figure it out. But it's supposed to be on 10.7 acres. It's not, it's on 9.91 acres. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so um, the 2004 design uh, guidelines, this is infill so that all the parking would be on site not on the street, everything on site. Um, in this case, 71 spaces, although I think four were, were eliminated during the planning commission meeting. And frankly, the calculation was sort of off the cuff. So I don't know how accurate it is, but so there's big difference. Um, the 2004 design guidelines, building mass, form, color, and texture should blend with the surrounding development. Right now we have more of an industrial ware warehouse look um, with some metal, this, it just doesn't conform with the neighborhood at all. Um, and this would be inconsistent with the 2004 guidelines. So again, exterior building material should conform with the neighborhood. So stucco, stone, brick, and we all know what the, what the new design looks like. Okay, next page, please. So on the off-street parking, well, there's no parking in analysis that, that we could see, so we did see a change in the applicant's uh, application was 56 public street stalls, and then it was 71. And then what we did is we looked at census data in Vacaville, how many people don't have a car? It's only 3.4%. And then when you look at the percentages of people who do own cars based on whether they rent a one bedroom or a two bedroom, you would need significantly more spaces than what the code requires so our code 
doesn't match reality. So we have a code that doesn't match reality, and then the applicant wants to use the guest parking out on the street. So we all know reality is that the parking is just gonna go all over our entire neighborhood, and people inherently don't wanna walk too much. They'll, wanna, they'll park where they're not supposed to park. Does that make sense? So this is, this is a huge concern. Lots of kids riding up and down the street. I'm really afraid that someone's gonna get run over because there's gonna be blind spots. Okay, um, again, just so you can compare, uh, compare density, this project is proposed at 236 units. Our, the redstone development surrounding this project is 141. Okay, next page, page please. Okay, and then I think we talked enough about this. I'm just afraid I'm gonna run out of time. Okay, next page, please. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I made a records request for accidents along Leisure Town Road, and I didn't even get the whole, because Leisure Town is like, it blends into Vanden, and it takes you from Highway 80 all the way to like Peabody. So this is only to Vanden, and since 2014, we have 342 accidents, 151 injuries, two fatalities, um, and, and a lot of these uh, accidents were because of unsafe terms. ...ever been placed in our conditions of approval. And I agree with your staff. Albert, please, please show the one side that we have, which is up there. This is from uh, June 15th, Planning Commission, where it very, very clearly states, and I, without my glasses, let me give her a shot here. Effects of the uh, expiration of the development agreement. No CFD annexation, no annual fee collection. Goes on. We look at things like this from your staff, which we've dealt with for years, as you know. We look for hidden things or things that could show us or lead us to what our costs and what our fees are going to be. This is very clear to me. There's other things that are very clear to me, but this is, this is really apparent. We request that you help fulfill your arena requirements by approving the project as approved by the Planning Commission without the hidden CFD condition 11. Uh, yeah, present in the audience, yes, we have our architect, our, our uh, legal representative, we're civil, and we're prepared to answer any questions. But I have one last thing that I would like to point out. It is beyond my comprehension why west of Leisure Town, there is no need for new construction. Uh, there is no need for new construction, police and fire impact CFD requirements. We on the east side must be the rowdy bunch. They pay their property taxes and get protection on the west side. And I surely do not understand why we and the folks here in this room and in the development around me under CFD 11 are being asked to pay or are paying in addition to property taxes five times that of CFD 8. That takes us with the apartments that are going to be going in in the same place 
puts all apartments at a disadvantage. There's no equity, none whatsoever. And it's beyond reason. Again, are the people east of Leisure Town and do you anticipate our tenants to be that rowdy bunch that we have to pay five times the amount of the people across the street? I ask that you remove CFDS 7 or 11 and condition seven. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll make it. So I just want to clarify, I think I misspoke when I spoke about the burden. It's actually Ms. Minion's burden to show that the city has zero substantial evidence to support its findings. So it's even higher burden uh, that placed on her than just coming up with some evidence. Uh, going back to the CFD appeal, uh, I've turned in now two letters explaining that, uh, although an important public policy concern, uh, police and fire response times and, and sort of personnel issues are not a CEQA impact. And there's very clear case law on that. Uh, very, you love to read my letters and find out why, <laughs> but it's in there. Uh, and then as far as relying on uh, public uh, service policy 1.2 in the general plan as a basis to uh, impose this exaction, uh, I've also explained in my correspondence that under the Housing Accountability Act, you can only apply objective standards. That has a very specific definition. That policy is not objective because it refers to things such as build public facilities, pay your impact fees, join the CFD, doesn't say which one, how much money, not every project builds a new police station or firehouse. Uh, it is it is in a project by project basis of what that policy means at that time. And that's just not objective. You have projects that pay nothing. You have projects that pay less. Uh, you have projects that only do their property tax. Uh, an important thing to note though, also is that our property is in the city where we get police and fire services today, serving our parcel. So there shouldn't be a need to join a special district to obtain that same service. Uh, the, and Rich already mentioned it on the lack of disclosure. I just want to you know, also mention my correspondence is that the city was obligated under new state law starting this year to put in its fee list that it publishes on its website and available for us to find during diligence, not only your development impact fees and your building fees and, and your processing fees, which you, you do post, but also special taxes. And this is not on that list. And so we really have a lack of disclosure here and, and it's pretty late in the processing to add on a hundreds of thousands of dollars a year assessment for eternity that if we were to lump sum based off favorable to the city assumptions uh, would be a $10 million uh, exaction before building permit, which is over $42,000 a door, which is extraordinary for a rental apartment project. And I will leave it at that with four minutes and 40 seconds to go. There you go. Okay. With that, I would like to see a show of hands or if anyone wants to speak tonight, I would assume there's going to be a few uh, show of hands of who is going to want to speak tonight. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll keep it to the three minutes. Um, if it's just going to be these few hands. So uh, please form a line. 
I'll keep you to three minutes. I appreciate you getting to your point. Please don't try to repeat the same thing everybody else repeats. Take your time, sir. Well, my name is Frank Wheeler. I live over there in Risk. My problem is very simple. I've been around a lot of places, living in a lot of places. I have never seen nobody stick an apartment around hundreds of homes. Somebody in the city need to be fired because there is no reason for that. You know, you have this fellow citizens like buses and all these different things. None of that is there. I've been there ever since they moved to the south. So that's my problem. If you're going to do something, you should look at the whole thing and somebody didn't do it. Because right now, you can't get no bus over there. If something happened to my car, hey, I got to walk to call a friend. So you don't get that. But that's my concern. I want to know where he passed somebody to pay $2,200 a year for tax. I know darn well it's not me. <laughs> I want to find that person know what he's doing. That's my complaint. That's all I understand. Thank you. Next, please. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council, staff. My name is Bruce Smith. I live on 554 Burgundy. I've lived in Backville for 44 years. Uh, Backville's always had a great quality of life, right? Uh, I feel like any project approved should enhance the community, enhance the neighborhood. This one definitely does not. Uh, you know, Alicia went over a lot of our concerns. I'll just touch on a couple of them, expand on them. Uh, the traffic. So Leisure Town already is like a freeway. You try to go out there in the morning, cars are going 55, 60, 70 miles an hour down there. There's been numerous accidents. The way they've got the traffic plan now, they're going to come out on Redstone, which is right in front of my house. Kids will play out there. And when Leisure Town backs up, people already use Burgundy as a thoroughfare. I've called the police department for the last six years, asked for traffic control. Never once have we had traffic control out there. Never we'll once. Never. I'll take care of it. So, you know, I would love to see that, okay? Second thing is the school. My daughter goes to Cambridge School. They have 750 students. I was there last week. Kids are being taught in the hallway. Kids are being taught in the library. Kids are being taught in the cafeteria. It's unacceptable. I know the council's going to say that's a school district issue. The city has a responsibility for our children. They can have a successful education. Being taught in a hallway is not a successful education. It's not okay. When, we're, when we bought this home, we were shown a map with a school being built in that area. Got houses running now. So I don't know what happened. Something needs to happen between the city and the school district to get this figured out. It's gonna take at least two or three years to build a school. That'll be too late. You got one lake, you've got all these other homes being built, no place to send these kids to school. It's not fair to the kids. Uh, you know, I just, I just wish you guys would listen to the community, right? Feels like south side of town skips a lot of short shrift, right? This would never occur on the north side of town, I guarantee you. you know, the, everything, you know, that happens on the north side, not happen on the south side, right? Just feels like, hey, let's just throw a bunch of apartments up here in the middle of this field. They don't match the community. They don't, they don't look, they don't look like anything that's over there, right? So thank you for your time. Just please consider our concerns. Thank you. Next speaker, please. My name is Jeremy Patzer. I live in the Redstone houses and I understand their need to, or their want to make money and do business. I get that completely. If I was a builder, I'd want to do the same thing. 
The problem that I have with this is a couple. When we bought our home out there, we asked specifically, were there any Melaroos, any HOA dues? They said no. I said, is there going to be any type of commercial buildings? Is there going to be apartments or anything else? They said no. They told me that there would be a school and a park if anything was to be built. Now we're being told that this is going to be happening. And to your credit, you are right that apartments are a different breed. In my professional career, I dealt with um, changes in communities. Some were good, some were bad. Historically, this is probably going to create more problems for the residents that are there already than it will create good. If you want to build homes, residential homes, I'm, I'm on board with that because everybody will have their own driveway, their own parking spot, their own piece of property to call their own and take care of, have some, some pride in it. That doesn't always happen when you rent things out. Um, the issue of, <coughs> excuse me, the CFDs, if, if somebody can come in right next door to me or across the street and not be responsible to be paying the same amount of tax that I am is not, even if it's not legal, it's not fair, it's not just, it's not right. And I remember Ms. Wiley, when you came out to our neighborhood and you were campaigning, you said that you would work on getting those reduced or made even with the rest of the city. I don't know where we're even on that. I'm not asking for anybody to take pity on anyone else, but I'm asking you, put yourselves in our shoes. If you live there, would you want to have to worry about, right now, this parking thing, you don't want us to argue the same thing over and over, but it's a legitimate concern. I don't have houses across the street from me, yet I have cars that don't belong to me being parked there every day. I have neighbors, my brother, that lives eight houses down that has to walk down a block and a half to park his car because there is just not enough parking as it is. There's a school bus stop out there that my daughter has to go to. And in the area that her bus stop is, is gonna be a main thoroughfare, already is, for the vehicles that go through there. You have these new apartments with, what, what was the number, 300 more cars trying to get out of there every morning. It's not gonna be very safe, okay? So again, I, I beg you to put yourselves in our spot. And again, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody, but we gotta use our heads, man. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and just read what I wrote so I can get through this in the amount of time. Um, the neighbors and I decided to try and get less people speaking. I just dropped the pen. Just leave. Um, that's what that um, so we can get through this and not keep you guys here as late as we did the last time the planning commission meeting. But uh, my name is Mike Little and I live in Southtown with my family. We bought our new home in 2015 near an empty lot along Leisure Town Road. The only information we were given was that the lot would be a high density residential. One, our fear was that we'd be moving in next to an apartment complex. We liked this area because it was a small neighborhood out on the edge of town. A few years ago, by the request of our current mayor, uh, I was reached out to by Tom Filippi, who represented the landowner. He showed me these plans for single family duet homes. We were all on board and we all agreed that it was a great project. There was a couple, you know, parking issues, but it was everything was seemed like it was a great project. Um, and at no time did we ever hear there were issues with getting the project approved until we got notice a few months ago about these apartments going in instead. I called Tom immediately and asked him about it. 
He said he was dreading my call, but he immediately blamed the mayor and the city of Vacaville for stopping the duets, while at the same time said it was just business. It's not just business for us, it is our homes and our safe neighborhood. We did some research and found that the apartments were supposed to go in first before any houses were built. But at a later meeting, the developer got the approval to build our houses first, but no permits would be issued until four signs were placed in the property specifically stating future Southtown apartments. That was their condition of approval. It was a requirement before the houses would be built. We didn't get the chance to make the decision for ourselves if we wanted to live near an apartment complex with an expected 500 more cars flooding our small streets. We know we might not be able to fight what the private landowner wants to build. We should be able to get some modifications to the project. We want a solid wall built completely around the project, which is consistent with every other development in Southtown. We want parking to only be allowed on site with the only entrance and exit uh, being on Leisure Town Road. We are not allowed to claim ownership of the parking space in front of our own homes because it is considered public property. Why should these private apartments be allowed to take ownership of the public parking on both sides of the street outside of their property? They're claiming 67 at 71, 67 parking spaces on the streets. They should have to use on-site parking for all their parking numbers. They don't even have guest parking on site. I guess guests should just take all the spots in front of our house, public property. We just want your help making this wrong done to us a right. We live and breathe Vacaville and should have support from our elected officials. You all know much how you all know how much I care about the city. Please help make this right. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, I just this is Wendy Brecken. Um, I just wanted I spoke with Mike Little and I just wanted to clarify. I think he meant that this the original sign in place did not have the word apartments on it. It just said high, high density residential. So there was a number of people who didn't understand what that meant and thought that it was like high quality housing or something like that. Um, so if I can, I'd like to go back in the slides to the fourth slide from the end that it says um, that the development agreement expires. The expiration of development agreement is allowed um, the tentative and the final maps to expire in the appellant uh, Alicia Minion's presentation. Sorry. Um, so on June 10th, 2014, City Council at agenda item eight amended the South Time Development Agreement to state that the term of any tentative map, parcel map, et cetera, that other maps, um, or any subdivision document relating to the projects shall be the same as a term of this agreement and shall expire on June 30th, 2021. On June 30th, 2021, staff allowed the development agreement to expire despite Planning Commission approval, a 7-0 vote to send the development agreement extension for three years to the City Council for approval. So there was a Planning Commission meeting it was supposed to go to you for approval. There was time for it to go to another city council meeting and it didn't go. Um, next slide. Why is the loss of the tentative and the final maps critical? Well, what, what, the, what those maps do is define lots, streets, dimensions, slopes, elevations, proposed grade contours, location of water and sewer lines, landscape, area, basins, parks, streets, sections, walls, 
other pertinent information. So my question is, how can how can you build an apartment complex without these things? These these tentative and final maps are gone. So um, in addition, um, if I can, okay. So the so if you could you could see that the development agreement expiring dealt with those things, dealt with the, the maps. It didn't deal with the project approval, the permit, the plan development, the master plan for the development of this area of Southtown. And these apartments are on a part of the planned area of Southtown. That's that's all the time you have. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good evening, council. My name is Carolyn Renfro. I'm a 19 year uh, resident of Vacaville. I moved into the Redstone area on Scarlet when they first uh, opened in 2015. I have a couple of questions and then I wanted to comment on something that the uh, applicant said a little bit earlier. Uh, first of all, I was wondering um, who actually made the decision to let the development agreement expire. Uh, why was that done and, and um, who's accountable for that? What What is the outcome for that when the person is accountable or the group of people is accountable? Uh, and the second thing I wanted to comment about what the applicant said, they they talked about the Strata Apartments and the Harbison, you know, having built and developed those before wanting to work on this project. And I don't see a comparison between those because those are commercial areas and where we live is a residential area and it just seems to be out of place. It doesn't seem like something that would be comparable. Thanks for your time. Thank you. We're gonna answer your two questions before I bring the next speaker up. Okay. So a development agreement is a agreement between the city and the applicant or the property owner. Uh, both parties have to agree to continue to extend the project. So in the instance with the development agreement going to planning commission in 2021, uh, the term of the development agreement ended June 30th of 2021. So there was a need to get it before the decision maker, but as we got it before the planning commission, we realized that it would not get before the city council in enough time to be able to meet that expiration date. So we brought it to the attention of the applicant. We let them know it's like, this is going to expire before it gets before the decision maker or city council. Would you like to continue with this by resubmitting a brand new development agreement or reviving it? Or do you want to let it expire? The uh, development agreement was chosen to be expired by the applicant because they had recorded the last tentative map for that Southtown area that was required, which was for Southtown phase three. So again, the point is, is that development agreements expire um, because both parties have to agree to extend them. If one of the parties don't agree to extend it, then it meets the end of its life, which is the expiration date. Um, and I believe the second question was about why were CFDs not applied to the other apartments in uh, Strata and Harbison Apartments, is that correct? Right, you're, you're supposed to be doing the work. I'm just over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I presume that was what the question I was. So. Uh, and in that instance, the city has general plan policies specific for priority development areas. It says you need a streamlined development within priority development areas because of their interconnectedness with commercial development and with their walkability, their close proximity to transit centers. And the, the policies are designed to help, or they require city staff to remove, remove roadblocks that get in the way of the development of projects. And in the instance with Casa de Vista, with Harbison Apartments, 
uh, the identification of annexing into the CFD 12 for infill development was identified as a roadblock that would hurt that development. And that was the reason why it was not required for those. Other apartment projects such as the one in North Village is annexed into the respective community facility district, which for that one would be eight. Yeah, it absolutely had to do with the, the travel center right there. Okay, three minutes, go ahead. Okay, I'm also living currently in the Redstone neighborhood. And um, right now there's a current housing project going on directly across from Redstone. We can all hear it early in the morning, goes all day, also on weekends. Um, there's also a project that's been approved by the city to start construction over on Joyce Drive. And it's only like two blocks from Redstone. We can all see it from our neighborhood. And if this proposed project goes, that's third project that will be going on. And it's my understanding, um, neighborhoods around the area also received notice that there's gonna be a fourth project going on on Vanden Street, right? Um, across from the canal. So that's four projects going on. So my concern is all of the traffic as people have uh, mentioned before, the construction trucks. There's only so many roads for all those constructions. We're talking Bandon, um, Burgundy, Leisure Town. I mean, that's a lot of traffic, it's a lot of noise, and a lot of housing projects. I don't know, know what's going on with Vacaville. I moved here in 67. I don't recognize Vacaville anymore. I understand towns need to grow, but there's a lot of homes at one time, a lot of noise for the neighborhood. So, I mean, I need to know where all those construction trucks will be going, hopefully not through the neighborhood. Thank you. For the record, we all love construction. Sorry? For the record, we all love construction workers. Good evening. My name is Gloria Dobbins. I live in Redstone. Um, I have two major concerns. Um, number one, there are no services out at Redstone and Leisure Town. There are no businesses. There is no public transportation system out there. We're not we're not like Harbison. We're not close to the transportation hub where people, apartment dwellers can get on the train and go where they wanna go. Everybody in that apartment complex is going to get in their car and go where they need to go. And they're gonna to have to drive their car to get to any public transportation if they wanna do that. There are no grocery stores. There is nothing out there. The apartments are going to be luxury apartments, not affordable housing for working people in Vacaville. People won't be able to afford them. So what will happen is it will be a lot of young people, three or four to an apartment. It won't be one or two cars per apartment. It will be four or five or six. My other concern is, so uh, actually I have no objection to apartments, but a reasonable height that doesn't overwhelm our little 140 home subdivision. This, play, this is twice the size of what's already there in one small footprint. 
and they're not going to have to pay the taxes that we pay. So we're paying the taxes that pay for their police and their fire and their parks and their street sweepers and all those. That's We're paying all that extra, which by the way, most of the people in Vacaville that I speak to that have been here and live in other areas are very resentful of us. They don't realize we're paying all those extra taxes. They think we're just taking their services and overcrowding their schools and their parks and their libraries. My other huge concern is that building that is proposed does not fit in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is stucco homes with brick or stone trim, earth tones, um, our landscaping is natural, zero water consumption. This thing is this big white wood structure that obviously is just plopped down. Thank you okay. very much. You're welcome. Next speaker, please. My name is Michelle Roseland. I live on Burgundy facing that area being developed. Two things. One, yes, the parking, I get it. How can they include city property, public parking as part for their renters? That math doesn't make sense to me. My biggest concern is as a music parent, our program is dying. I will go so far as to say it's dead. Because with these cramped classrooms, you've heard we're in the hallways, we're in a closet, and we are sharing the library. By the way, the librarian, the kids do not have access to the library. She gets a wagon and a few books and makes the rounds. They do not have access to it because there's classes in there. Now music is gone. It has been 100% taken away from Cambridge because they need those teachers for those classrooms in the hallways. What happens to our junior high? There's no kids who have learned anything yet. There's no interest in music. Then it hits high school. My marching band has gone from almost 80 to 21. And more than half of them are seniors this year. Music is dying. Music has been proven to help language, math, all forms of learning. What's gonna happen when they don't have that outlet? There's so much support for School of Rock but those are paid lessons. Not everyone can afford them. School is free, but they have nowhere to put the instruments or to teach. My daughter had to give up the trumpet. She had been waiting and was told no. My son wants to get into percussion. He was told no. They are in fifth and sixth grade. I have a senior at Vanden, very musically inclined. Piano, guitar, saxophone, trumpet. Self-taught because we couldn't afford the lessons and he couldn't always have access to it at school. Jazz, symphonic, marching is dying. You, people are worried about children's health and their mental health. That's included when they don't have that. Consider that we are expanding in Vacaville Everything is going into Vacaville. Well, Travis 
falls in the Fairfield district. Our district offices are in Fairfield. So another city will be increasing and overcrowding an already overcrowded area that doesn't even belong to them. Thank you. Next speaker, please. You know, I, I'm gonna have you, not you, pardon. yeah, come sit down and then I'm gonna close public comment. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. All right, good evening. My name is Edward Melvin. I live on Claret in Redstone. Prior to moving to Redstone, I was living uh, temporary and I have two boys, ages 12 and uh, 14. We were looking for a place to live and uh, decided on luxury apartments and Fairfield. And I wanted thought a bit nicer upscale, something you know, comfortable to live in. It's stay more safe. So I did that. And beginning it started off great, but as time went on, uh, there was controlled substance, there was break-ins, there was speeding through the um, complex, and it became unsafe. Came and safe for my kids. I don't want them exposed to that. So moved the back of bill, bought a house. Um, and I even checked, make sure there was nothing around that would be potentially like for apartments. And this just, you know, this year and I'm hearing, you know, apartments is a shock. And now I'm, I'm worried now safety for, you know, family, kids, and speeding. You know, bike boys, you know, they recommend about my sunrise's bike. and my wife, she walks the dog a lot now. We're about to speed through neighborhoods. Um, Break-ins is a big concern for me because, you know, it's like you said, it's temporary housing. It's, what I learned is there's no respect with uh, temporary housing is rental is, it's not the same as home ownership. So that's all I wanna say. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hello, everybody here, members of council. My name is Carlos Trevino. I've been in Vacaville for a little over 50 years. I've seen many changes, probably a lot of changes, more than probably a few of you council members that are here. <clears throat> the thing is that when I decided and my wife decided to buy another home, I've actually moved about seven times in Vacaville in different homes that I've owned. Um, I did uh, look at this area and we decided that it was a great area, great area to live in, or live in. So therefore, we asked the people that sold us our home, Five Point. They said, uh, I asked them what's going to happen in those nine acres or ten acres. Uh, they said, we don't know. Actually, they did know. But if they would have told us the truth right from the beginning, that they were going to build apartments there, you probably would have a totally different crew of people behind me. And that's the truth. So therefore, I think you ought to reconsider our plan. I know the cost of, 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 of lumber or cost of a building is high and it's going to go higher because our uh, way of living today in this past few years is prices are going extremely high, especially for building. Um, eliminate that top floor leave two stories, reconsider that. And the entrance, leisure town. But the thing is that just look at that and let's make a, that area good. I don't see 
where those people that are going to be there are going to be totally happy because you don't have anywhere to go unless you want to walk around in those little hills that are behind it. You don't have a uh, harvester. You don't have an area that you could just go shop in the afternoon, go eat and walk there. But I worry about cars a lot like everybody else does. I had the problem myself. I bought a corner lot on Crimson and there six cars immediately took my space and I couldn't do nothing about it. The city didn't back me, the police didn't back me. So therefore I waited three years and finally everybody sort of decided to move out because the kids were living there. Now all of a sudden I have the space back. But uh, I see that we're gonna have spaces taken from us and I don't like that idea. So that's all I have to say. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. Nice seeing a lot Good of to see you. Last speaker. Thank you all for your time tonight. Um, my big concern is just traffic and parking, those 60 some odd spots. Is there a diagram that shows where there's, those are gonna go? Because in my head, walking in our neighborhood every day, I don't see how you can even fit that many cars on those side streets. Are they gonna get rid of the sidewalk? Or I'm asking like, seriously, is, no, we'll is, what's the question. plan for those spots? Is there? Yeah, we'll yeah, keep asking questions and then we'll all answer. Right. Um, beyond that, I don't even take my daughter to school in town because of the issues already stated. We have to drive 20 minutes commuter to, to go to school where she can actually get better education. Um, when we moved there, we were promised new schools, new parks, still haven't been built, yet we're getting a new apartment complex before all those things have actually been built. Um, beyond that, I work at the hospital. I, I'm on call, I get called in at 3 a.m. I have to drive Vanden Road, that single lane road. I'm sure everyone's driven that at some point here. Extremely dangerous. And now you're expecting, I mean, all these other homes are being built, so traffic's gonna naturally increase from those too, but also adding this apartment complex. I mean, that is there any plans to fix that road as well? I mean, that's has to, something has to give with that too. I mean, so, I mean, those are my, my big concerns and uh, that's all I have. Okay, Take thank you. I'm gonna close public comment and answer your questions. There were a lot of questions raised by members of the public. Are we just get into it, or would you like to identify which areas you'd like staff responses to? I, I heard those two questions. Let's start with those two questions. Uh, Albert's going to address the location of the park. Great. So along the project front edge on Burgundy Street and on Scarlet Street adjoining the project site, there's approximately 56 parking spaces along there. And... Yes. I wonder if this uh, along Burgundy Street, there is 56 parking spaces, and Scarlet Street uh, on the opposite side of Scarlet Street, there is approximately 11 that would be allowed. There were four that were located along the uh, close to the intersection of Leisure Town Road that were determined in order to be able to make sure that there was safe uh, area for vehicles to turn off of Leisure Town Road, that four spaces, approximately 150 feet, step back from the right-of-way on Leisure Town Road, needed to be clear of parking on the north side of Scarlet Street, and so the applicant, part of a conditional approval, will have to revise their project plans to be able to address that. Okay, thank you. Um, you wanted to come up? Thank you. Uh, just to uh, respond to a few things raised in public comment, 
uh, I just want to be very clear. I think everyone knows this that the the DA expired with a prior ownership, not the applicant for you today. There was they had no involvement in that. They took the property with the current zoning applied, and they have no legal ability to apply for a project without fewer than 20 units an acre, up to 24. Those are the rules that apply to us. We designed a project to comply with them. Uh, the, there were a few requests from the community on, on project uh, design changes uh, that I, I do not believe would be uh, workable with the project. The moving all parking on site at this point would reduce density and the Housing Accountability Act does not permit the council to condition our project in a manner that would reduce density, density unless there was a specific adverse impact, uh, which is based on an objective standard. Uh, the, I think we just answered the question about where that parking is, but you know, basically it's our side of our frontage when there are homes on the other side of the street. And then the only place where it's on both sides is when we're adjacent to that uh, drainage ditch. So it's not in front of anyone's home. The, uh, the wall issue, uh, the, the homes that are, are, are townhome product that fronts has pedestrian access, the front door is there. So if we put a wall there, it would be a total project redesign. This would not, we would have to start from scratch. So that, that would not work for the applicant. Uh, and for two access points, uh, fire requires us to have two access points due to the size of our project. And so we, we can't have one access point. It, it, it is, would not be approved by fire. Uh, there was uh, uh, things brought up about when the DA expired, the repercussions of that. You know, we told the city that one of the repercussions is that CFP 11 should not apply anymore. Uh, what you heard from the public was that the tentative map and final maps expired, and therefore we don't, we, we can't do anything with our property. Uh, that is not the case. If if that were true every lot in the South Town area wouldn't exist anymore. We have a legal lot. We, we don't need a map. And if, if that was true, no one would have a lot anymore. And I don't know what would happen. I think the state would take over. I don't know what happened. Uh, the switching over to the CFD 11 just very quickly. Uh, it was mentioned that there is a uh, apartment project in North Village area. I'd just like to raise two things about that. That had a DA and the assessment imposed on it, which is a multifamily project, is one-fifth of ours that you're proposing to put on us. And, and that, that's a big difference. We don't have a DA, and you're asking us to pay five times as much. Uh, and I did want to clarify, we are joining the LMMD. We are joining the uh, contributing to the benefit districts as our conditions 30 and 31. We aren't objecting to those conditions. And so we are contributing to the beautification of the area. All right, thank you very much. All right, I'm going to bring it to city council. Anyone want to start off, or I will. Okay, Councilmember Silva. Um, I think uh, I want to apologize to everybody uh, that's put time into this uh, because I think it's just uh, uh, I mean, just kind of taking in what everybody said and the abundance of attachments. I was actually out of the country when all this was going down locally. I heard it was fun. So sorry I missed that. Uh, but I think that what we continue to hear throughout our community is that. Promises are being made, commitments are being made to our residents, and then through whatever laws, through whatever rationale, things change, and then the residents are left to deal with over-impacted schools, uh, uncommitted commitments to uh, not just public service, but public amenities. 
And then, so we kind of, we keep going back and forth between, you know, all these policies. When this town is full of just working, average working class people working uh, to, leave, to live a better life for themselves, working to create a better life for the kids. And they're looking forward to us as councils, uh, whatever count, whatever, whoever's in this, in these seats throughout the past couple of decades or few decades, um, they're looking to us to make the best decision how we make, how we move forward. And I think in this particular situation, you know, I, I think the design is nice personally, but I also understand that it doesn't fit. I absolutely don't like the fact that we're counting parking on the streets. I understand that's part of a policy. A policy shouldn't be in place. And that's on us as a council. So I think that uh, tonight I say we make it right. Uh, and I'm, I want to apologize to the developer, but I, uh, I'm going to side with the folks on this one. All right. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to go with Council Member Wiley. I want to say thank you for being here and bring up your concerns. I'm going to list some of those same concerns just because those are the concerns that need to be dealt with. The big thing, when you look at there's 141 homes in that neighborhood and you're plopping in 238 apartments, you know, you're really not quite doubling the amount of people that are already there. So that's a big concern. You just can't do that. This project does not fit in this place. Um, and so parking saying it's on both sides of Scarlet and on the Burgundy side is easy to say, but when you're walking that neighborhood or you're seeing where people parked or you can't park in front of your own house, that's not a good thing. So, so parking needs to really be addressed. And the other big thing is those townhouses are all counting two spots inside their garages. And I know a lot of people that don't park their two cars inside their garages. So you're gonna have more than those cars that you're accounting for. And I personally live across from someone that has six cars. And so I know what it's like to have cars on your street all the time. And I feel like it's not being addressed by just saying it's gonna be here and there. Um, and I hate to say that saying that police and fire is already being provided to a vacant lot is not the same as part police and fire being provided to 238 apartments and all the people associated with that. And the increased traffic, there's not much traffic generated by an empty lot, but there's a heck of a lot of traffic generated by, you know, 238 apartments with three or four cars per apartment, because with luxury apartments costing over $3,000 a piece, you're going to have a lot of doubled up people and, and vehicles. So that was a disingenuous comment, I believe. Um, you said that the fire said we had to have two access. In some areas, I see an access but it has like those little holes so they can go down in an emergency. Would that qualify for fire and still just have the access on Leisure Town? Because it is going to be with, with I live in that neighborhood too, not right in Redstone, but real close. And the traffic is really bad and then backed up at that light. The other big issue, which has been mentioned, you can't come out of there and turn left on Leisure Town except at the light. And at the last comment or in the staff report or somewhere, someone's report said, go down to the roundabout and then make your U-turn that way. But people run into that roundabout routinely, making a U-turn is not gonna work either. Um, so then the fourth thing, third thing I thought was kind of disingenuous talking about the cost going up so much. Yes, the costs are going up for everyone, but the profits are going up 
increasingly too. So the rents for luxury apartments go up routinely. So profits go up with costs going up. Um, CFDs are for the impacts to the people. So it's logical that if you have 238 apartments full of people, they should pay for some of those impacts as well. Um, the fifth thing is lack of amenities. You can't really have an apartment with all those people with nothing around there to do. So it's not a good place for that reason. Also, um, I just mentioned, but multiple people, you're not gonna have a one bedroom apartment with well, what might be a couple with two cars, but there's quite a few three bedroom apartments. I wrote it down on another paper. I don't have it now, but there's a lot of three bedroom apartments which are gonna generate more cars as well. I did appreciate the comments about the music department because um, I am an elementary teacher where we had music. My kids had, you know, tuba in fifth grade and sixth grade, and then they were in marching band, the whole progression. Just this past week, I was talking to the junior high band teacher, and he said, Jeanette, my music program has totally changed because the kids didn't have music in elementary school. And so then I'm teaching them beginning music in junior high. And then in high school, you know, the great band and band is not the same as it used to be. So just the impacts of Cambridge, where I taught in Foxborough, is a real thing and uh, needs to be addressed. And I did walk the neighborhood and I talked to a woman whose house was for sale and I on Burgundy and I said, um, is it just kind of a coincidence that your house is for sale now, like you got transferred or something? And she said, no, my house is for sale because of these apartments. And my son is 14, he's gonna be driving soon, I won't be safe. So, you know, someone said that, oh, houses are gonna go up for sale. And I just thought, oh, people are just saying that, but that woman, no, she has said, no, it's for that reason. So <clears throat> I feel like it's a good project for some places, it's not a good project for all those reasons. And I feel like um, the developer in TriPoint, not the, this developer, but TriPoint in the sales office, they need to be held accountable because they can't be telling people, you know, things that are gonna happen that really aren't. And as a council, we talked about that earlier. So we need to go forward with making that sales office know the truth before they tell people, you know, this is gonna be a school for your kid. Um, so those are my comments on this project. Thank you very much. Council Member Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Uh, appreciate everybody coming out tonight expressing their concerns on this project. Uh, there were a few things that popped up like what other council members have mentioned. Parking has been an issue with every single apartment project that's come to the city, whereas Oak Grove, Allison, uh, we pushed back on those and they made the adjustments to accommodate better parking. I uh, personally have an issue with using yeah, public parking as designated parking for a private entity and believe that should be included into the apartment plan itself. As far as the concerns with uh, evacuations, I share those concerns. I've worked over a dozen disasters myself and the more bodies you add to disaster zone, the more traffic there will be, especially if you're including the base. Uh, you know, one lake, which is technically Fairfield, but most people consider that is Vacaville for the most part in terms of services because where it's located. And so that does need to be taken, taken into consideration. Um, there are some part, parts where I have questions for the staff on the relationship between the Southtown plan and the development agreement. 
and which takes precedence because I know some things are trying to fall under the old Southtown plan, but the development agreement no longer exists and they're applying as a new project. So it's either a new project or an old project. If it's a new project, new owners, it should not fall under an 18 year old EIR traffic studies because there are all those brand new developments out there, including one lake. There's already a significant amount of traffic, which is why we were widening uh, Leisure Town Road. And I think that it's only less than one parking spot for, or I didn't do the total count on the parking spots for it, but there should be at least probably more than one parking spot per unit because yeah, most adults have more than, like if you have a family, there's gonna be at least two vehicles there. If it's a, yeah, maybe more if there's seniors like my house when I grew up, there's my mom, my stepdad, me my sister and stepsister, once we became driving age, all had vehicles. So that was five vehicles at one house. And cause we all had our own jobs, driving different places, different school schedules. And so that really needs to be considered. Um, but yeah, with the, I, I know Councilmember Stockton and I have mentioned before is that EIR should have an expiration limit on it, especially um, these 20 year old development agreements or 18 year old development agreements. Uh, because like was mentioned by Alicia Minion, there's the standards have changed. Densities increased by almost like between like 30 to 40% from the previous numbers. So if you don't think that amount of density is going to change it. Um, yeah, there's some, some issues with that. Uh, like at minimum, yeah, I believe there should be a full another traffic study. And uh, issue we've had in the city before is brought up with Oak Grove is because Oak Grove is brought in, but there's also farmstead happening at the same time. Those two traffic studies weren't aggregated, even though they'll be affecting the same intersections in the city. And so we also need to work with Travis Air Force Base because that Northgate off Cannon Road is getting improved. So there's gonna be more and more people using that exit. And there's the issue with the, the railroad tracks right there because I use that gate almost weekly when I go on base. And then with uh, one lake being finished, there's more homes going, or working on it, there's gonna be more homes there than all, as all the other developments on Leisure Town get put in, that's just going to increase. So there needs to be aggregate traffic studies, not just singular point in time, especially now after COVID and a lot more residents in Backville. I mean, the, the census, we've picked up almost 15,000 people since the last census. And that's not including all these other developments that are going in right now. And so that's gonna be heavily impacted and an eight, and a decade old or over a decade old traffic study is not gonna show you a true number of what's happening right now. Let's see what else I have. Yeah, those are the the, the main points I had. Uh, yeah, if staff, you have any input for the, like what takes precedence as the Southtown plan, the master plan or the development agreements. And also when it expired, um, is there any attempt to do a new development agreement with the new owners and the new project? Um, because yeah, essentially it's a brand new project because it doesn't exist with what the old one is based off what they're saying. All right, so we'll, we'll attempt to tackle each of these uh, topics one at a time. Um, so the original approval from 2004 included a variety of uh, development entitlements, which included this plan development. Our code is very explicit about the expiration of plan developments for unbuilt portions of projects, the 10 year lifespan. So if there is a plan development that's approved for a project, they build a portion of it. 
the rest of it, whatever the design guidelines or whatever approvals are allowed, has a 10-year lifespan before it expires. So issued being in 2004, anything that's not built after that uh, expires, unless, in this instance, there was a development agreement. The development agreement had a uh, expiration of June 30th, 2021. So whatever those design guidelines are, are vested as part of that uh, development agreement. So when the development agreement expires, so do those planned development guidelines. And as I mentioned earlier in my presentation, the when that development agreement and those vested entitlements expire, it reverts back to whatever the municipal code says. And our municipal code, municipal code has very objective, clear standards that say, if you comply with this standard, there's no impact. So when uh, the developer is proposing certain things like uh, meeting parking requirements, those parking requirements are very clear about one bedroom apartments must provide this, two bedroom apartments must provide that, guest parking must be provided, and guest parking being provided on site. And when our standards are very clear about what you can and cannot do, it's the developer's obligation to show and demonstrate how they comply with that. It's our job to demonstrate that they are in fact meeting those standards. Um, so, so for this particular project, when it comes to parking, the developer is clearly showing that they are meeting all of those standards. When it comes to environmental impact reports, uh, the state's uh, very clear about EIRs. They don't have a shelf life. Um, you can't take multiple bites of an apple. Once you have a certified environmental impact report, any project that is part of that environmental impact report, as long as consistent with that, in this particular case, high-density apartments, then it falls within there, and we can't take multiple bites of that apple. As far as development that has occurred around there, there have been subsequent environmental impact reports for the Vanna Meadows uh, project for Bright Landing, for Roberts Ranch. The general plan had its own uh, environmental impact report in 2015, as well as the subsequent environmental impact report that was conducted for the vehicles mile traveled. So there have been multiple analyses that have identified development surrounding it and the expansion of Gibson Parkway that have accounted for all those surrounding projects independently. Um, so again, this project is being consistent with that original environmental impact report and state is very clear about whether or not you can require them to do a separate analysis. When it comes to uh, parking, I'm going back to parking real quick because there was a reference to Oak Grove. Oak Grove was a different project because they were requesting a density bonus. They were requesting to increase the number of units at the project site. And at the same time, they were requesting to reduce the number of parking stalls on the site. That's not the case in this particular project. The applicant's proposing the number of units that are allowed within that density range. They're not asking for an exception. With regards to parking, they're not requesting to reduce the number of parking stalls. They're meeting exactly what that standard is. Um, there was an, if the council's okay with me addressing some of the other concerns that were out no. there. No? Okay. Okay. Are you good? Sorry. Yeah, please. Hey, you mentioned that, um, yeah, the parking must be provided on site for certain, for these units but the public parking on the public street is not on-site parking. That's a public roadway. So how is that considered on-site if it's... The, the, code is, the code is very explicit about how developers can use on-street parking uh, to help supplement part of their guest parking. It's the same as residents within single-family detached subdivisions. That The code says you have to provide a certain number of spaces that are on-site for that home, and then the street can be used for guest parking. The yeah. applicant is proposing to do the same uh, measure, which is for their guests, they're proposing 
to have parking on the street similar to what you would see in single-family subdivisions where guests would park on the street, not in, in the driveway, unless homes have the capacity for that. Okay, then uh, follow-up to the, the ER aspect. I know once it's approved, it doesn't expire, at least by current guidelines, probably from the state, is what what would trigger a new EIR? When is it considered a brand new project that doesn't fall under the previous guidelines? Because the way it's being presented is this is a whole complete brand new project that doesn't follow under the Southtown master plan, not the same development agreement, new owners. So if this doesn't qualify for a new project, what does qualify for a new project? Uh, staff's review focused on, first of all, whether this EIR is still valid. Uh, we did find that it is. There hasn't been any substantial, um, I mean, the, the lawyer for the applicant covered this, but essentially we did evaluate the adequacy of this EIR. I think the key thing is that staff's analysis is, and this is based on the strict limitations imposed by the state, that this project does comply with objective design standards and that, and also that this is part of a 1,200 unit master plan community for which the EIR was certified. And this is ultimately building out that last planned piece. So while there were 141 single family homes on Redstone, there's also, you know, hundreds of other single family homes that are part of this master plan community. And this is that last piece. And the master plan, what exactly was this piece designated as? Did this change from the master plan? was identified for, for apartments since 2004. Um, to your question about what would constitute a, a change that wouldn't fall within the environmental impact report, if there was a zone change that changed this from residential to commercial, that changes the level of impacts and that change has to be evaluated to determine whether or not it would increase the amount of traffic, increase the amount of impact, circulation, things like that. But because they're proposing apartments that are consistent with that original environmental impact report, they get to fall within the umbrella of that original analysis. And just had a comment for Horatio. Talked to you a couple of times. You've always been very straightforward with us and we've worked with you on yeah, the Strata and the Harpson Apartments. I'd hope you'd work with the, the constituents in that area and the staff and come to like some good agreement that everybody's happy with because we've done that with other projects. So uh, yeah, just have that comment. Great, thank you. Uh, Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, can, can you, uh, this sounds like a silly question, but it's not intended as silly. What are you asking us for tonight? What is the specific motion or action you're asking council to take and what is staff's recommendation? So staff's recommendation is that there are two appeals in front of the council right now. And uh, there's appeal number one to remove the requirement for CFD and there is appeal number two to essentially deny the overall project. Staff's evaluation is that you should deny both appeals simply because the code says exactly what it says. You have to comply with these standards. As long as they meet the standards, then they're fine. You can't change the rules in the middle of the game. Uh, and secondly, we're saying that you should reaffirm that original environmental, environmental impact report because it already analyzed the project like this at this site. And the third is that the plan development entitlement that allows them to construct at the site, we're saying you should approve that subject to that revised condition about condition number seven. So so breaking it down, option one, two, and three, what happens if we deny or approve option one tonight? What impact does that have on the next steps? So if you were to approve the appeal, that essentially is an action of denying the project. Okay. Uh, if you were to deny um, appeal one and accept appeal two, then you're denying the project. If you so accept- what, what appeal... happens at that point? 
So if we, let's say we pick one of the appeals and we, we approve or deny that appeal, then what's the next step in the process? What happens next? Uh, if the council wishes to deny the project through whatever mechanism, it would, you would need to articulate the public safety issues that are the basis of the denial of this project. Under SB 330, um, and we did research this very thoroughly and it's not pleasant to convey this message, but if this project meets our design standards, which it does, you don't really have the option to deny it unless you can find a specific safety issue. And so what, what staff would ask if you should, would like to deny this project is that you articulate for us the basis of the denial so that we can then bring this item back to you at a subsequent meeting with a resolution that articulates the basis of the denial. So if we deny it, though, it's not like all of a sudden the court bangs a gavel tomorrow and we start getting fined 10000 a day. There's a hearing, there's a process, there's notices from the state. They double check and triple check all the stuff. So if we deny tonight, it's not the end of the world. It, it goes to a different phase in the process where there'd be a lawsuit and the state would get involved and all those other bits and pieces too first. Is that correct? If you wish to deny it, we would have to bring it back to you at a subsequent evening. But should the city deny this project, then the, what would happen if the city were sued by the developer, um, then we would move into that round, the realm of defending a, a position or coming back to you. Um, okay. All right, thank you. So I think where I'm going with this, and I, a couple of the comments tonight from the speakers kind of triggered some thoughts, and you're all probably thinking, like, why the hell would you guys want this project? Like, why would you design something that put apartments firehouse? This project was approved when I was still in high school. And so the development phase for, for any development in Vacaville is like 10, 15, 20 years. So none of us were even here when this project started. And frankly, I feel like the two of you guys I thought this was duets and townhomes up until about six months ago. And so part of what happens, right, is the development process is super long and it takes a ton of time. And some council that are probably maybe not even alive today approved this thinking this was a great idea. And then I have all these houses and all these different things that come along and it's not the greatest idea. Where we screwed up, and we've been talking about this, is that the high density should have been built first. If the high density, if those apartments were there 15 years ago or 10 years ago, none of you guys would be in this room, right? You would have known what you were buying. It was the biggest probably purchase of your life. You pulled in, the developer's agent sold you all kinds of bills of goods, told you about this amazing park you're going to have, this beautiful school, and then there's not going to be apartments. If those apartments were there and they said, hey, by the way, you're not going to have a park for 15 years and, and we don't know what we're going to do about schools and those apartments, you could make an educated decision as a responsible buyer. And so the city took away that choice and it wasn't us. It wasn't probably even our staff that are here today, but some point in time, a long time ago, they made an exception to this plan and said, hey, don't worry about building that high density, build all those homes first. And we knew exactly what that developer was going to do. They were going to build all those homes, tell you guys they didn't know what was going to happen there and then come bring these apartments in later because that's what they do every single time. The reason I'm saying this is this is my fourth year on council. I'm leaving in two meetings. This is my, I'm counting down the clock here. And probably every other meeting or so, we get a, a plan that I think is crappy. And I'm saying crappy because it, it, it feels crappy to me. It feels like we pack and crack housing. We don't have parks, we don't have schools. And I get told, Nolan, there's nothing you can do about that because that was approved 12 years ago. That was approved 15 years ago. And so I've had to sit here and eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it. And so I'm not sure if this is a new project or an old project, but I don't see any benefit to the existing neighborhood. I don't see any benefit to Vacaville residents for this project. I appreciate what staff are doing. This is not critical of you guys at all. We've been talking about needing to change our design standards, needing to properly notice home buyers, a home buyer's bill of rights. If you buy a home, you should know when that school's gonna go in. You should know when you're gonna get your park. You should know if there's gonna be apartments next door. And what happens is people in development offices, and I'm not pointing the finger at you guys, but it's the people you work with, told all these people something very different. And that's why they're here tonight. That's why they're pissed because when they go to that development office, they tell them something very different. They invest their life savings in this house 
and then they get an apartment complex right across the street. And none of us would want that. None of us would like that. None of us would appreciate that. I live in an older neighborhood that was developed in the 70s. I have neighbors parking all over my street at all hours of the day. I have people doing burnouts and whippets and donuts down my street because it's on a main drag. I try to get from Southwood to, to Peabody and it's, it's almost an accident every single morning because of poor design. And I, I guess I'm kind of going off here on a tangent that doesn't really make a ton of sense. But I guess what I'm saying is I got two meetings left and enough's enough. And so I, I'm not in support of almost anything with this project. If it's not duets, if it's not condos, if it's not something that we need, I feel bad for you guys. You got left holding the bag. You came in and tried to do a project in a, in a city that's been doing this for 15 or 20 years to our poor residents. And again, I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, but I, I don't see any value to this. And so um, I, I'm, I'm denying on the basis that it was poor planning. We didn't notice people properly. Traffic's gonna be a nightmare. And we're using a 2004 EIR with 2022 density rules. And I just feel like that doesn't feel right. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of fired up and I don't know why, but I'm, I'm a no. So that's, right. that's where I'm you. at. Vice Mayor Stockton. Yes, thank you staff for the presentation. Um, thank you to the developer presentation, uh, Ms. Minion's presentation, but most of all, thank, to, thank you to all the citizens that came out. Um, I heard some comments early in the, in the, in the uh, open comment from their, um, when you guys were coming up here about, you know, this doesn't happen in the north side of town. It's happened in the north side of town. The east, west, and south too, not just in this city, but in every city. And I agree with my colleagues that enough is enough is enough with um, people making their largest financial investment only to have the rug pulled out from underneath them. It's not necessarily the fault of the, the gentleman that purchased the property and wants to do this. Um, but, but there's a couple things that just don't sit right. I, I, I don't see how anybody building a project adding that many homes wouldn't um, be pay their fair share of CFDs. Uh, frankly, that that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think we're, we all share that burden. Um, the other some of the, some of the other things that that came up as well is um, uh, there was a slide that was shown uh, by Mr. Rich Alexander, which, by the way, I, I did prior to the meeting meet with Rich Alexander. I met with Ms. Minion. I had conversations with some of the um, folks that live in the neighborhood uh, before the meeting, so I want to disclose that as well. But when you when you can you bring up that slide that he showed, where um, the stuff that was uh, basically gone uh, because of the expiration. Um, but the bottom says the city would need to renegotiate the terms, obligations, and fees. We haven't accepted any sort of agreement yet until we vote tonight. And and, and frankly, we do negotiate. I've, we've negotiated with Mr. Alexander on other projects. We have, um, in, in good faith, we have removed roadblocks to help them um, with their building of, of different projects that we that we like to see in certain areas. But there is no roadblock for the quality of life of the citizens that are affected by this. And so um, it's it, there, there's no traffic analysis that's done. And we've been made aware that there's been 151 people injured. There's been two people killed on Leisure Town Road. The roundabout that is not very far from this um, it gets hit all the time, um, all the time, multiple times a month. Um, uh, in my in my other line of work, um, I work for the sheriff's department. I've arrested drunk drivers that have crashed into that thing, um, and, and there are some significant impacts. And we don't even have a traffic analysis that was done on this. Um, with the current status of of Jepson Parkway, um, I have some concerns about the safety related to how um, folks are going to the ingress and egress into this apartment complex. 
going into the main portion of the city as opposed to Leisure Town Road safely. There are some issues with blind spots that concern me, um, with kids that are gonna be walking on those sidewalks with the, the amount of cars. Um, you know, a traffic survey may answer some of those questions. I don't know, but um, I certainly think um, the families of the two people that passed away on Leisure Town Road would, see, would say that there is a significant um, uh, safety issue related to the traffic. I also sat and it took me four hours to get to work to drive nine miles to the city of Fairfield when we had the LNU fires. Um, we've added substantially more homes to that area um, and we don't have a traffic analysis that uh, is current to uh, address those concerns as well. So, uh, so I would like to continue to negotiate the terms, obligations and fees uh, related to this project. I don't support it. And I, I, I want, I, I think there is an opportunity here. I, I do like the projects that, that have come before us from this developer, they're beautiful. Um, but I do think that there's an opportunity here to work with the citizens that are surrounding this project and come up with something that all of us feel good about. Um, so that's where I'm at. Thank you. Council member Ritchie. Okay, I'll try to not repeat everything. I'm pretty good at counting, so I kind of know where the energy's going in the room. Um, when I really appreciate everybody come out and really, really expressing herself. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to go too far into talking about traffic and the parking. I, it's just setting up. Um, it's coming back, so I want to start proactively planning for that. You know, what I heard, you know, like, can't change the, the rules. It's like a sport. The city and developers, they line up, there's rules, they've been played by rules, and the best team win. Stuff happens. You know, there was, there was a gap between certain things, you know, we can't get over that problem. We have to address it, right? So when it's gonna come back, I wanna make sure that we address it correctly, address the concerns of traffic safety for the neighborhood. You gotta find a way to have a win-win. It's gonna come back when we vote in a few minutes. So kind of being proactive in my office, I'll kind of grab some numbers. So East West Bank under underwrote the project. They underwrote the project at a per unit cost of $3,550. We're trying to propose going to 5550 That gap is 70% increase on the CFD. They don't want to pay it. We want them to pay it. We got to find a middle way to work. So therefore, those two gentlemen back in the room in the city of Abaco residents get the service that they need for recent fire. Bottom line, it's a, it's a negotiation. I enjoy it. Um, so we got to find a way to make it work at this point. Um, it doesn't have to be directly CFD. It can be an alternative. It can be a variation. Maybe the number's not 70% increase per door. Maybe the number's 35% increase. If it's 35% increase, you can find maybe another way to reconfigure the city, the wall, and figure it out. You know, maybe that money by maybe, maybe you don't pay the whole portion, but you can take some of that CFD money and take it towards and fire may direct in a different direction. But one thing I was thinking about uh, coming in this meeting was we have Station 73. We have city-owned land. There's another way that we can serve the police and fire with CFDs and money that goes towards serving the residents' community. There's already existing homes there. Police and fire are already showing up. But we can direct that money and CFDs at a lesser scale. I think a zero is not, not going to work. We have to have something. I, I do agree. Everyone has the right to know that your neighbor's paying taxes and paying for something too. But we'll have to find some common ground. Maybe that fee is less than 
we want, the more you want. That fee could easily pay for, I already priced it out, I had a little meeting. Um, so the name of the company is Fire Facilities. They're one of the largest providers of towers. You can literally take 30% of the reduction of the CFD and fund a police and fire training station on city-owned land. We win, police and fire win, city backfill wins, and you know, we all work out. The funds, I'm gonna, yeah, hold you back. One point I have to say on our record. Sure. So the point, we got to find a way to come back and negotiate. I want us all to find a way to win. Like, they're, at some point, they're going to build. Are they going to build exactly what we want? Probably not. So if they're going to lose, we're going to lose. But we can still find a way to take at some portion of the CFDs <laughs> and give it to a benefit of the city. I mean, it's a lot of money. We, we do the $5,000 for a door. They reduce it a little bit. That's a huge amount of funds that go toward the city, police and fire, serve our community in different ways. I had a meeting with the Solano Community College. They're, they they need a place for a fire academy. The amount of money they pay or will pay, we can build a fire station, lease it to them, and now make a profit for the city. There's a lot of things we can do if we use the CFDs really smart. That put up there sounds on record. Thank you, council member. Okay. I'm fired up too, council member. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna come and join you. So it, here's the deal. I will never vote for an apartment at this site. And for those that don't know me, I've been sitting up here going on 14 years. Um, and I sat right where Nolan's sitting. And I wasn't a motion, but back then we didn't, we weren't as formal. But I said, I don't ever want an apartment complex here. I don't ever want an apartment complex within the new residential areas. And every single, back then it was five of us, um, everyone said, no, we wouldn't put an apartment complex here. So for that, shame on the city, shame on myself for never going back and changing that. That being said, um, Tom Filippi, and I know he had a hard time and he's not here tonight and I wish he was, He's worked hard, and I want you all to hear this. He's worked hard to come up with a different plan. I told him, and I was very clear with him that I didn't want an apartment complex here. And he tried to come up with a plan, and the city gave him a really hard time about a couple of parking spots, and we blew it. We blew it multiple times, and I'm sorry for all those things that we did. And if we would have done it right, I don't know, back in 2013, I think, when I said it, um, it would have been, we wouldn't be here tonight. I'd probably already be done with the city council meeting. So my motion tonight, and I'm gonna make the motion Excuse me, is- Mr. Mayor? Yes. Before you make a motion, can I just make a suggestion and a comment? Sure. Comment and suggestion? Sure. So I, I'd like to piggyback on um, uh, the direction of, um, of our community development director, Ms. Morris, and caution the council that because this is an SB 330 project, sure you're enough. limited in, um, in your ability to deny it. Um, if it meets the objective development standards. Um, if you do deny it, you do need to make certain findings. And those are basically that the project would have a specific adverse impact upon public health or safety that cannot be mitigated without denying the project or reducing the density. density. That's the finding that would apply perhaps in this case. So what I would recommend is that I've, I've heard some conversation about uh, potentially denying it. 
if if the council's inclined to do that, maybe your motion should be to direct staff uh, to to um, send it back to staff to bring it back to you with the um, findings that support Great. that denial. So, but I want to <laughs> be very clear. And, and I want to be very clear with you, and I think I have been multiple, multiple times. The CFD is going to kill this project anyway. And so even, I wish I could increase it for you. And I've said that to you too. So I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings tonight. Although we can't, I want to be very clear that I do not want to remove that because if he comes back, I want to make sure tonight that in this motion, I do not want to remove that. Um, but I do want to, um, I guess, uh, not deny the appeal from Alicia Minion and uh, turn down this project. Um, is that clear enough? And then give it to staff to come back and give us the opportunity to tell you why we don't so want that. Bring it back with findings of denial of the project. Right. Okay. Is that clear enough? Are, are you clear? I want to keep <laughs> CFDs no matter what happens on this project, and I want to kill this project. I think we understand that. So okay. if that's your motion, we need a second. That, that's my motion. Oh, um, and I'll do everything I can to make sure if that SB 330 comes back, I will vote to fight that thing all the way to the bitter end. Is that what you want? Okay. <laughs> I have a motion. I have a second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? It's unanimous. Thank you very much. We'll move on to the next item. You, you want some clarification? You want a five minute break? Do you? We're going to do a five minute break.
Bye. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Here, Chris. I don't Chris. Mine's Mike. Yeah. Oh, I know we pulled a couple of the percent the last one off. Okay. I'm okay. I've got enough. We'll uh we'll get started with I think we're at 8C, I believe. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This next item is a resolution of the City Council um, approving the uh, assessment districts for the annexation of the Montessa property. I'm gonna turn it over to Chris Joya from our engineering department. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor, members of Council. This item before you tonight is the public hearing for the approval of the annexation of the Montessa property into the existing maintenance assessment districts. Those existing districts are the Skyview Setback Landscaping Assessment District, number 85, and Community Center Neighborhood Park Assessment District, number 86. A short presentation, and then there will be an opportunity for questions and public comment. So Public Works is requesting City Council approve the engineer's report, confirm the diagram and assessments, and levy assessments uh, for fiscal year 2022-23. This exhibit shows the assessment district boundary for the Montessa project. The pro project is located south of California Drive and west of Alamo Lane, adjacent to the Skyview de development. Montessa subdivision includes 59 residential units. This exhibit, exhibit shows the assessment district boundary for the Montessa project. The project is located south, oh, wait a minute. Sorry about that. The conditions of approval for the project uh, require annexation into the existing Skyview Setback Landscaping District and the Community Center Neighborhood Park Assessment Districts. The homeowners will pay into the districts which will fund maintenance activities including street, light, street lighting, setback landscaping, open space, drainage facilities and neighborhood park maintenance uh, with that park being a portion of Three Oaks Park. Process for the establishment of the maintenance assessment district is under the Landscape and Lighting Act of 1972. At the September 13th City Council meeting, Council granted preliminary approval of the engineer's report and set the public hearing for tonight, September 27th. A ballot was sent to the property owner at the conclusion of last uh, city council meeting. The purpose of the ballot is to give the property owner an opportunity to satisfy a condition of approval with the city through support of this assessment. The signed ballot is now in possession of the city clerk. Uh, after the public comment period, the city clerk will open the ballot and present the findings. And this concludes my presentation. I'd be glad to answer any questions. Okay, I'll open it up to public comment, or do we have to go to you? How do we do? Okay, public comment. Seeing none, I'll close public comment and bring it back to the back. Usually they write it all out for me.
so the property vote property owner votes in the affirmative for the assessment district. Great. So I'll Fair entertain enough. motion. I got a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. We have to read anything or of course. Of course we don't have to when I remember. 9A, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This is a presentation and acceptance of the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce annual progress report. Tim Patton, our economic development manager, is here to make a presentation along with WGDO from the Chamber of Commerce. I got you. Oh, here we go. There you go. <laughs> this evening, the council is being asked to accept and approve the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce's program of work, annual program progress report, and authorized payment of a service fee of $56,056.90. The city of Vacaville and the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce have a long history of working together to help maintain a healthy local economy in Vacaville. And this collaboration continues to assist uh, our department in, in economic development in the implementation of the COVID-19 economic recovery strategy that was adopted by council in February of 2021. The Vacaville Chamber of Commerce also provides numerous resources for the business community and has an extensive work program to keep our local economy growing. At this time, I will now turn to the presentation over to Debbie Adigio, President and CEO of the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce, who will share with you the progress of the Chamber uh, the progress the chamber has made over the past year and what work lies ahead for 2023. Debbie? Good evening, Mayor, City Council members, city staff, public. My name is Debbie Egidio. As Tim said, I'm the President and CEO of the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce, and it's my pleasure to be here tonight to give you our annual uh, report. Go ahead, Tim. Next. Which one is it? <laughs> yeah, we can Operator error. There we go. <laughs> when one plan doesn't work, try the next one. Right. right? So the Chamber of Commerce is a 501c6. We are um, governed by a volunteer board of directors, a 17-member board that represent all sizes and types of businesses from throughout our community. They're representative of our membership. They're representative of the diversity of our city. And members join the chamber for a variety of reasons, as you can see listed there. But what I wanted to point out is our membership history chart. You'll see that deep drop. That was in January of 21, about nine months after COVID. The chamber is based on the health of businesses in our community, because as a membership organization, um, when our businesses thrive, we do. And when they sink, we sink with them. But the, the positive note is that line is steadily increasing and continues to increase to this day. We are just over 400 businesses strong right now. Next slide. Chamber is based on multiple committees to uh, make what we do happen in addition to our staff. Our ambassadors are a volunteer force, and quite frankly, we could not do much of what we do without their dedication to our organization. Uh, the next three you'll see there for actually business issues and advocacy, business resources, fundraising events, and membership are all committees established under our board, but they are membership of those committees is beyond our board members. We're involving more and more of our members in this um, committee, committee activity it also kind of becomes a building block for their participation deeper into our board as we go. Young Professionals of Solano is rebranded as of a few months ago from the Young Professionals of Vacaville. 
We're, it will still be housed under the Vacaville Chamber of Commerce, but the outreach and the membership is gonna grow into Solano County. Um, as recently as I believe it was last week, they had a networking happy hour in Dixon. So they're working on even bringing events out. Um, Young Professionals does not require membership in the Vacaville Chamber. It does require membership in a chamber in the county though. So we thought though that branching out and that is an important network and an important way of bringing our community and our county together. Travis Regional Armed Forces Committee is uh, a partnership with Fairfield Soon Chamber of Commerce. We get together monthly for different functions, whether that be a luncheon, an on-base presentation, or a social event in order to network with our base commanders and the leaders out there and to bring the community leaders together. As you know, Travis Air Force Base is one of the greatest economic driving forces in our county, and it's really important that we keep them thriving as well as keep them participating in our community um, as many of the airmen, if they don't live on base, many live in Vacaville more so than Fairfield and frequent our businesses. We also have a backpack, a business and political action committee. Um, we'll be holding candidates forums next week. So the pack is separate from the chamber in its funding and its resources um, because it is a, a action committee where the chamber itself does not collect or distribute funds uh, to political excuse me, political activity, it's been a long night. Okay, next slide. Income and expenses are very similar to what most businesses will show, uh, like we are a small business. Uh, most of our income though does come from membership. The city service agreement we're talking about tonight is about 14% of our income. You will notice um, the green negative income, it's write-offs. Those are memberships that we invoice for and that don't come to fruition because we are an accrual-based business. Our expenses also are very similar to a business in staffing, in um, administrative activities, marketing, and then event cost to offsets our event income. Next. So the contract we have with the city is divided into five different areas um, that are listed there, and I'm gonna go through each of those briefly for you tonight. Next slide. So promoting and supporting local businesses. Uh, one of the great things we do is a partnership with Genentech. It's called Genentech Goes to Town. We just wrapped up this year's program where every Genentech employee received $25 of Genentech to go out and spend with businesses in our community that then uh, that money is reimbursed by Genentech. So it really promotes uh, our businesses to that large employee base that's there at Genentech, infuses new money into our economy, and is a partnership that the chamber administers for Genentech. As I mentioned, YPS, they have a munchie of the month, driving business to different uh, restaurants by a special that then raises funds for their charity of the year, which this year was Casa of Solano County. We do multiple digital and social media marketing. I'm fortunate to have a dedicated staff person for that. So the chamber um, is always on the forefront of trying to put information and member information out there. Ribbon cuttings, uh, you've all been to, I think every one of you up there has been to a ribbon cutting at some point in time at the chamber. So I appreciate that support and our businesses do too. And of course, then we also do advertising for our local businesses. Uh, most recently, we've done a restaurant advertisement that um, doesn't even mention the chamber. It says vacavilleeats.com, which is a website uh, domain name that we bought for our restaurants that then lists to our restaurant pages. So we, our advertising doesn't just promote us, it promotes our businesses too. Next. 
There's just a few of the ribbon cuttings. I, I think one of my favorite is the picture on the top left of Sharkies. They just the whole family was there and they were just so exuberant. Um, I can see Mr. Ritchie in the background there for that event as well. I know a couple of others were there. Um, but business is big and small. Cajun Kraken is up there. Security Pacific Storage that did that beautiful mural project and Kaya Fit. So just a few of those pictures to show the excitement and the support that comes out for that. Next. Professional networking and connection. Connecting, I mentioned Travis Air Force Base. Another thing that I'm real proud of that we started was the Vacaville Restaurant Alliance. We started that last fall. It um, brings together our food and beverage establishments to share their problems, to share their solutions, and talk about different things that are affecting that industry specifically. Um, an important component of not just our city, but our hospitality industry. And I have found that that has just been a very small but mighty group that accomplishes great things in helping each other out and sharing resources in that forum. Again, I mentioned YPS, our monthly mixers. Again, you've all come out and supported that. We really appreciate that. And then one of our major events that we were um, happy to hold again for the second time since COVID in person is our Night of Champions annual dinner. We celebrate our business of the year, public servant of the year, ambassador of the year, and young professional. And thank you, Maria Roulette, for emceeing that for us. Next slide. Workforce development, an important part of what the Chamber does. And we do that with a lot of partnerships. Uh, Solano County Office of Education is an important one there. We do our work ready certification program with them where we do mock interviews of our businesses go out and uh, help those kids get prepared to enter the workforce. Um, Inspire is one of a career fair that's coming up and a brand new career technical edu education committee has been started also by SCO that we're participating in and really a great, great community wide partnership. An employee of the year luncheon to recognize employees in the county. Um, Hyatt Place, Sadie Varanga was our winner this year. Uh, Backville Chamber Education Foundation. If you don't know, the chamber does have a 501c3 foundation that is developed specifically to award workforce scholarships. We did our first ones last fall. We have our second ones coming in this year. Really designed to target your non-traditional um, non workforce entrance. Uh, maybe those that didn't have a high GPA right out of high school, or maybe it's the 40 or 50 year old re-entering the workforce that needs some additional training or um, just uh, trades certification programs. Doesn't have to be college. So we, that's um, trying to fit a niche that isn't out there. Close-ups and coffee is just a, a nice thing that we did this last year that helped build business portfolios. We had a um, professional photographer come in, do headshots so that people could add those to their, their work sites. Um, some of the city staff actually came in and did that as well. And uh, that also generated funds for our scholarship foundation. So that was a great uh, partnership. And then last on our workforce development, our partnership with Solano SBDC. Uh, They've started this year the Entrepreneurs Roundtable as well as the Manufacturers Roundtable that's in Vacaville and we're helping get that um, connected and off the ground for them. Next. Economic development, hugely, hugely important to you as well as it is to us. And we enjoy a great partnership with your economic development staff and other partners in the city. Um, most notably right now, the EDAC is working on a few programs that we're providing input into, including a storefront improvement program, a small business grant, which was earlier tonight on the ARPA agenda item. Big four, um, my, one of my friends and partner, you'll be hearing from next, Melissa Reeves with Visit Vacaville, as well as the city staff in downtown Vacaville. We get together periodically to combine our efforts and to make them more powerful, especially for things like Small Business Week and other programs we can help together. 
Um, we're working on small business retention interviews with the city to try to extend your ability to reach out to the businesses and understand better their issues. Shop Local Vacaville, I know we've talked about it a lot. It's coming into our pipeline in the next month or so. We just got the ARPA funding agreement in place. We'll be really working on putting that um, in a more prominent light again, bringing that back, especially as we enter into the holiday season when shopping is on everybody's mind. I'm excited about that. And then we're continually um, being a resource for new businesses and existing businesses on how they can navigate city processes, uh, permitting, just um, who to talk to, to to get the right answers. So we, we play that role for you as well. Next. Information outreach services is the last of the five pieces of our service agreement. Um, this to me kind of falls into our advocacy piece as much as anything. But the Movers and Shakers Breakfast Summit is one of our premier events of the year. We do the state of the city there. Fortunate to have the mayor and city manager help us with that. And that has been a sellout every single year. And we hope to continue that tradition. Our business issues forums, we hold every other month. And those are topics of concern to our businesses or the public. We've done a lot of development projects, present presentations there. We've had elected officials present. Uh, Solano EDC was our last speaker. And then if there's ever topics that are really pertinent uh, that may be coming down the pipeline, we try to bring those there too. We do, like I said, with PAC, we do candidate forums. We did a sheriff and district attorney on this last election. We'll be doing city council coming up. And we also participate quite actively with Cal Chamber and follow their legislative recommendations and support. Uh, they have an extensive staff that help filters down the information to us locally, participate on their calls so that we're up to date and up to speed on what's happening at the state level because sometimes those can have phenomenal local impacts. And um, if we're not involved in that process, then we're not gonna be able to look out for our own businesses. And then lastly, again, I mentioned that this kind of falls in the advocacy category. We do have advocacy guidelines. They're posted right on our website. They're very transparent. They're right there. And we um, stand in support of local businesses and as the collective voice for business for those guidelines. Next. Looking forward, I already talked about Shop Local Vacaville. Again, we're um, looking forward to kicking that off. Also part of the ARPA funding was reprinting the Starting Your Business in Vacaville uh, brochure. We're gonna print that in English and Spanish this time. It was only in English the time before. So we're, I think both the city and us are just about out of those. So we're looking forward to redoing that. Inspire Dream Start Now, I briefly mentioned a partnership with the County Office of Education that's coming up on October 18th. It's been two years since that program has actually happened because it is an in-person program for all the eighth grade students in the county and is considered a field trip. Field trips got kiboshed with COVID, so uh, very excited to have that coming back. We're also gonna be rebranding the chamber this year. It's been, uh, oh, maybe 10 years. <laughs> I didn't actually do the math on that, but uh, it's been a while and it's time for us to have a fresh look and a fresh face. So we're gonna work on that. And hopefully by the start of the year, you'll see some rebranding from the chamber. And we also are continually investing in our marketing and our communication outreach, because that's, uh, I think, one of the biggest things that we can help do is be a conduit for information to our businesses. And I one more thing I'm very excited about and are looking forward is the next slide. Lemonade Day, and I'm gonna let the video speak for me first. It's a minute and a half. Um, hopefully you'll get excited about it like I am.
of us depend on small businesses to create jobs, but kids aren't learning how to create small businesses in school. So who will teach children how to create the jobs of the future? That's where we come in. It's called Lemonade Day. It started with one lemonade stand and turned into a movement. One day a year, hundreds of thousands of kids all over North America start, own, and run their own businesses. We help kids every step of the way. We teach them, give them tools, help them with goal setting and creating a business plan. And we teach them how to save some, spend some, and share some with their favorite charity. But we need help to make it happen. Here's what you can do. If you're a teacher, think about adding Lemonade Day to your program. If you're a parent, encourage your kids and their friends to sign up and run their own lemonade stands. For everybody else, volunteer your time and business expertise as a mentor or organizer. And of course, your donations are crucial to making sure Lemonade Day is a success. Today, your corner lemonade stand, tomorrow the world. Get involved at LemonadeDay.org. So this has been unveiled for the first time tonight. You are the first audience to hear about it. Um, it was, I don't, did not even include it in the city staff report originally, but this is something brought to me by one of our um, staff people in Noel. And we have all latched onto this. Um, it is something that is unique. There's about 80 locations in the United States. Only seven cities in California are doing this. Um, our closest one is Sacramento and then Redding and then it branches out from there. Uh, it just feels right as a program to teach our young citizens entrepreneurship as well as involve our business community where they can be the location for the stands free completely to the kids that participate. Um, the chamber is purchasing the licensing for it for our city. And we feel it will be citywide and really connect with the community. And I'm hoping that all of the districts will get involved as well as we get there. Um, so again, very excited about that program. I, I'm, I'm hoping the enthusiasm is becoming contagious for it as the more we get out there. But with that said in my presentation, I do wanna say thank you for your time tonight. Um, the last screen on the board is our board of directors. Again, a 17 member board from uh, throughout the community that uh, some of them were here and we couldn't do it without them. So thank you, I'll take any questions. Great, I'll open it up, public comment. I'm waiting. Bring it back to council member Silva. Uh, thank you, thanks for presenting. Um, I'm excited about the Lemonade Day, uh, heard about it. Uh, it kind of extends off of some conversations we had about how do we how do we reinvest or how do we actually invest in the entrepreneur spirit. Um, and I was, uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that rolls out and please let us know how we can support. I think it's a little comfortable speaking for all of us on that one. Um, the, uh, I was gonna suggest uh, even uh, just thinking about um, building into a particular brand is like some type of aspiring entrepreneurs of Solano County. Uh, maybe that's something that uh, young professionals can take on or, or adapt or uh, something that, that just gets people thinking and knowing where to go uh, whenever they have those ideas, uh, no matter what age really that they are. Um, and, uh, and getting people thinking, because I think there's a lot of times there's ideas, just the question is what to do next and, and how they follow up uh, with all of that. So uh, that's it, thank you. Thanks.
Yeah, and on behalf of the entire city council, we appreciate everything. Sorry it's late and no one's here to listen to everything, but uh, we do appreciate everything you guys are doing. There's thank, replay, thank right? Thank you for uh, running it over there. And uh, you know, obviously we love this partnership, so thank you. I'll entertain yep. motion at this point. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? It's unanimous. There you go. Thank you. All right. Item uh, 9B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This is another annual update from our partners with Visit Backerville. Once again, Tim Padden um, is yeah. introducing it, and then Melissa Reeves from Visit Backerville will also be joining it. Yeah. All right. Thank you again, Mr. City Manager. Good evening again, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council members. As our City Manager mentioned, it's a little bit of a big fortnight. Uh, the second uh, organization is Visit Vacaville. Uh, and they will be presenting their 2021 and 22 annual reports. The city of Vacaville and Visit Vacaville continue to partner on numerous projects. As an economic development partner, Visit Vacaville is assisting the city with the ongoing implementation of the COVID economic recovery strategy, much like the Chamber of Commerce, particularly the visitor-oriented actions within the strategy, and has strengthened their efforts to be a resource for the hospitality industry. Additionally, the city works collaboratively with Visit Vacaville on their tourism recovery plan, which was approved by city council in February of 2021. In December 2021, the city council approved the Visit Vacaville management plan for 10 years, while also approving the management agreement between the city and Visit Vacaville for three years. Visit Vacaville operates as a tourism marketing district and the current district will not expire until March of 2032. At this point, I will turn the presentation over to Melissa Reeves, President and CEO of Visit, Back, Visit Vacaville, uh, who will share with you the progress of Visit Vacaville, uh, especially over the past year and the work that lies ahead in 2023. Thank you, Tim. Good evening, Mayor Roulette, Vice Mayor Stockton. I'm told I have four minutes, so I will speak very fast. And I've already, I've already taken up some of your time tonight running towards the, the dais, so I'm so sorry for that. So good evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share um, what Visit Vacaville has been up to. Tim, next, please. And actually, do you have, Tim, do you have? We have. Oh, you have okay, them. Yeah, we have okay, thanks. Excellent. <laughs> this is how I short my presentation. Awesome. You have your materials in front of you. Yeah. Um, so I will say that tourism in the hospitality sector was clearly one of the hardest hit by COVID. Um, we are still working very hard to uh, work our, our way back from that. But of course, you know, there's another a new day, a new crisis. And so obviously inflation and gas prices are hurting the tourism economy quite significantly. So although you will see that our occupancy rates are just up about 1.9%, so essentially flat over where we have been, um, our occupancy, uh, our, again, our occupancy rates are, are not changing dramatically. In fact, we've had a number of down months still, um, but we are seeing rates increase. So that's kind of helping balance out um, that income on the transient occupancy side, um, which obviously matters to you because that's general fund money from the city and the only tax that we don't have to share with any other entity. So some of our accomplishments in the last fiscal year, um, we designed and published the new 2022 inspiration guide and our mini guide, which you have in your packet. Um, also a new restaurant guide that lists all the restaurants that have a business license in the city of Vacaville, except for uh, chain restaurants. Um, we also have a new partner guide. That guide is what we use when our community engagement manager goes out and vis visits with our partners throughout the community. Um, and really talks to all of the ways that any of our businesses can interface with Visit Vacaville. 
We updated our relocation guide, which we um, hand out. I know Debbie hands out a lot at the chamber. Uh, Travis Air Force Base uses those quite a bit as well. Um, we have a restaurant week toolkit for all of our restaurants to take advantage of restaurant week and make sure that um, they kind of know best practices for, for restaurant week. Um, we really got back into our regular marketing game. This was the first year that it was kind of more business as usual post COVID um, and all of our digital marketing advertising is all back in place as well. Um, some of the new programs, we were actually the very first city in uh, California and only the second in the United States to bring the Hidden Disability Sunflower Program to Vacaville. Um, that program is for anyone that has a disability that maybe we don't see that needs a little extra help and a little extra time. So we are looking for businesses to partner with um, that will basically just walk, watch for anyone that has a lanyard or a bracelet that has that's green, that has the sunflower on it. They don't have to say anything or even acknowledge them, but just make sure that they're there to be extra helpful and provide some extra time if needed. Um, we also launched the Destination Vacaville podcast. Um, we um, have had, I think we're on 32 episodes now, so we've been busy recording. Um, we also have the Vacaville Art Trail, which um, we launched throughout the city of Vacaville. A number of public art pieces are on that trail. And we want to thank the city of Vacaville for the help with signage. Parks and Recreation actually partnered with us to do signage at all of those art pieces. Um, we also have the Vacaville uh, Taco Trail that we launched on Cinco de Mayo that we ran for three months. I will tell you that we had a girl that finished the trail in 24 hours. She ate 17 tacos in 24 hours. She was very full and vows to do it again next year. <laughs> Good. We hope you're all going to get on, in on the Taco Trail uh, next year. Um, we hosted Vacaville Restaurant Week in January. I love Vacaville Week. We host over Valentine's Week. And um, as Debbie mentioned, we partner with the Big Four on Small Business Week. And um, we actually just wrapped up Arts Week this last week with a number of arts and community events all over the city. Um, some of our marketing, um, we just, and thank you to most of you who um, met with our, um, with our consultants working on our strategic plan. So we are working on that right now that um, will start for next year. Um, again, back into our regular marketing programs, we're looking at new event development, increased uh, communication with our residents. Part of that strategy that actually we worked on with the city and thank you that you all funded, um, the COVID recovery strategy was also a resident sentiment survey. Um, I think you have got a copy of that last year. Um, but that document really, um, we had over 500 residents that responded to a very long survey. Clearly people did not have much to do during COVID and did a really, really long survey. But we got some really great information on how our residents feel about tourism in our community. And by and large, they were overwhelmingly supportive. They really want to see more events, more sports and um, are very supportive of the arts. So things that we're, we're covering um, definitely in um, our programming. Um, we are also starting an I Love Vacaville Advisory Committee. We want to make sure that we are looking um, at all aspects of our community. So really kind of an equity, diversity, and inclusion committee. Um, Committee-wide arts project, we're really trying to do something really large and spectacular for Arts Week next year. Um, we have been working with the Workforce Development Board to support job placement for hospitality industry workers. Our hotels are struggling. They're really having a hard time getting workers and being able to, we've got general managers that are cleaning rooms, checking people in. Um, so we're really struggling with getting workers back um, into the hotels and restaurants. So we're really trying to work with them there. 
Um, and we're working to rebuild our agritourism program. Um, it's been a, a, a huge part of our marketing for a number of years. LNU was, LNU was really, really hard on our agritourism and, and, our, and on our farms. So working with those farmers to try to rebuild some of those programs. And then just some of our plans for this next fiscal year. Again, we'll bring Restaurant Week back and all of those other, um, those other weeks that we host. Um, the Community Give Back Day, we host at the end of I Love Vacaville Week. It's a chance for our community to come together and do some projects around our community. Um, National Travel and Tourism Week, we celebrate in April and host an event um, during that time. And um, our farm to table dinner, we are having one on Friday night, big event in Andrews Park for 150 people celebrating our ag um, in Vacaville. And um, I don't know the date for that next year because I haven't quite gotten over this one yet, but as soon as we do, we'll let you know the date for that. And with that, was that fast enough? Uh, you're right, <laughs> a minute. Public comment. And we, uh, on behalf of the entire city council, thank you for all you do. Thank you. You guys are amazing, and we want to see you continue to viral up. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll go to 9E, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, uh, members of the city council. This next item before you is approval of the Community Development Block Grant Program for the year 2021-22. We have Emily Cantu and Tamara Colden from our Housing and Service, Housing Services, Community Services Department. Thank you. Um, there, it looks like there's no PowerPoint for you guys tonight, Just so dive I can in. run right through it. Dive in. <laughs> All right. So good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members. Uh, this presentation is to cover the... Sorry. Uh, the Community Development Block Grant uh, uh, Consolidated Annual Performance Evaluation Report. Uh, the action being considered tonight is to accept and provide comment on the Community Development Block Grant 2021 through 2022 uh, CAPER. Uh, staff is recommending that Council approve um, the 2021 through 2022 CAPER after accepting any public comment and providing comment to the report. As an entitlement community for HUD's Community Development Block Grant Program, Vacaville is required to submit an annual CAPER that covers Vacaville's progress towards meeting the strategies that are listed in the consolidated plan. The 2021 through 2022 accomplishments listed in this year's CAPER include support for youth activities, programs, uh, program housed, programs housed at the Buck and Eldridge Social Service Center, final payment on the Section 108 um, loan that was used to purchase property on Brown Street uh, and supports for affordable housing through a variety of housing programs and homelessness related programs. Public notice for the CAPER along with the draft document were made available on August 28th and as of this meeting no comments had been received by staff and if approved 
Tonight, any comments received from the public or from council will be included in the caper and submitted to HUD by the September 28th uh, date. There are no funds requested for this item as preparation of the caper is covered by CDBG funding. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions or comments related to the I love that paper. presentation. <laughs> Open the public. Close the public. I'll entertain motion. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Mr. City Manager, item 9F, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This final item before you tonight is yet uh, related to the CDBG plan. It also includes a couple of amendments related to the Mariposa Center project. Um, Ms. Emily and Ms. Tamara are here to make that presentation for you as well. All right. Presentation for this one. Uh, this presentation will cover the impro uh, proposed improvements um, for the Mariposa Neighborhood Center. Tonight, you are being asked to approve Measure M funds to adjust the capital improvement program budget for the proposed expanded improvements to the Mariposa Center and to accept public comment on the substantial amendment to the Community Development Block Grant Annual Action Plan that will be required to include the expanded improvement. The amendment will be to the 2022 through 2023 Annual Action Plan. Uh, some background, as an entitlement city for the CDBG program, Vacaville uses funding to address the priority needs identified in the five-year consolidated plan. A consolidated plan is implemented through activities that are identified in the annual action plan. In addition, the current approved capital improvement program budget totals nearly $41 million and the CIP budget must be amended to add the new measure and district dollar funding that will be requested for this item tonight. On June 28th, Council approved the 2022 through 2023 CDBG annual action plan that included a total of $85,000 towards Mariposa Center improvements. Since that time, Council Member Sullivan has worked to identify additional improvements to the center that will improve the quality of life for residents who live near the center, as well as youth attending programming at the center. These improvements include a small dog park and playground equipment at the site. Staff has confirmed that the proposed expanded activities are eligible under the CDBG program and will add the current mayor um, and will add them to the current Mariposa CIP uh, budget. Council Member Sullivan has committed $93,405 of his district dollars towards the improvements and an additional $170,000 are being requested in Measure M funds to fully fund the project. The expanded improvements do require a substantial amendment to the 2022-2003 annual action plan to be submitted to HUD, as well as an amendment to the CIP budget to include the measure M funds and district dollars. If approved, Public Works will oversee the project with, uh, in partnership with Parks and Rec, as well as Housing and Community Services staff. If approved, this action will require the allocation of $170,000 in Measure M funding 
um, be added to the CIP budget and an amendment of the CIP budget to an additional $263,000 to include the Measure M funds, as well as the district dollars being committed by Council Member Sullivan. A lot of numbers there. With that, I'm happy to take any questions related to the substantial amendment um, for the CDBG action plan for the expanded improvements. Thank you. I'll open it to public. I'll close public entertain motion. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. We'll move. Yeah, please do. I'm I sorry. I just want to say thank you to Emily and staff. I, I know kind of a Hail Mary last minute project. I hope council will continue to look at this site over time because this is just a start and these poor kids in these neighborhoods, it, it is devastatingly barren and sad. But I just really appreciate you pulling this together last minute. I know it was a pain in the butt. So thank you city manager and thank you Emily and your team. Um, you guys work your magic and um, your form out the door. You, you've got a new playground and a dog park coming. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, item 10 reports city manager. Just very quickly, I just want to say thank you to Jill Childers and her team with the Code Enforcement Department um, and all the individuals from uh, staff and those volunteers in the community who joined us on this past uh, Saturday on the 17th for our third Make a Difference Day. It was a huge success. We accomplished a lot out there. So thank you very much and thank you to the council for your continued support of that program. We are hearing a lot of positive feedback from residents that are um, recipients of that and uh, we uh, we continue we look forward to continuing that program so thank you fantastic uh, I don't see any reports of City Council uh, yes I do Councilmember Sullivan so really quickly so we got an email from a downtown business owner a while back uh, talking about some of the nuisances from the protesters and some other crime issues and things downtown I'm less concerned about the crime issues I know we can address those in time I was under the impression we'd sort of solved the protest issues and the legislation and whatnot I know you gave me a brief update a little disappointed that it was just kind of we kept going and we didn't hear anything and they it, it, it's a pretty um pretty big issue i think that's impacting some local businesses and so um, I, i'm hoping staff can bring something back to council to discuss i mean i don't know if we do it publicly or not but it has been lingering now for a long time and so you know when we'll have an update or resolution is there a resolution is it possible is it legal is it not legal where where do we end up on this and do business owners just have to put up with this for years so there is a current plan of action that does require a partnership with the business owners that you know our police department is working with um, to take it further. You know we we are exploring that possibility, but given the size of, um, and you know frequency of those, um, we have not elevated it to you know that next legislative step that you're referring to. Um, it is something that we're currently evaluating again. Um, in terms of what are the, the different options available. But uh, there are options available. So if businesses do have concerns about that, they can reach out to my office. Thank you. And we'll go from there. Was he not in contact with staff? Did he not know that? Or were they not effective for him? Or what? why was why is his issue lingering, I guess is my question. There's a variety of factors behind that. Okay. And we're working with that business owner in particular to address that and all the other concerns that are included in his uh, note that council received. Um, but um, quick to point out that many of those concerns are, have already been addressed. Sure, a lot of the side and, issues, though, it yep. was more the amplified sound and the protest that was bugging me. I mean, right. it's just when people are out there with bullhorns screaming obscenities, people don't want to eat in your restaurant. And, and, that's, and, and that's something that we're going another step on. So. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, I just had a couple things. Um, yeah, a lot of people 
really enjoyed working and volunteering at the community cleanup again. Um, I know Boy Scouts and some other nonprofits showed up to, to help out this time, helping keep that going or community engagement. Uh, one of the things I did want to bring up was uh, some of the issues that were brought up during the previous two planning commission meetings. Um, I know that's going to be addressed at one of the future planning commission meetings regarding training and all that stuff. But as a since they effectively represent like the council since we appointed them, is what steps can we take with them regarding like professional courtesies and like rules of conduct, not just for the audience but for people on the dais and continue training uh, more for those new chairmen and new council, like new council members. We got a fair amount of training and making sure that the commissioners have access, regular access staff, since I know I meet with the city manager every Monday. I would like hopefully that the claim commissioners, park and rec commissioners have regular access to their leads as well. Um, yeah, if you want to, yeah. Sure, I'll be, I'll, I'll be happy to jump in. Um, I will just, uh, um, share with you that uh, your staff representatives for both of those commissions are extremely dedicated to making sure that the commission is prepared and successful for the tasks that they're assigned um, by the council. Um, to their credit, both of um, the department heads are working with the representatives. Um, and as you say, we have a bunch of young, fresh commissioners that are still learning their roles and, and processes. Um, but I know for a fact that um, our community development director is reaching out to the chair and to all the other members to make sure that they're available to have those uh, educational meeting opportunities as well as go, uh, providing training. The uh, planning uh, conferences, you know, they were able to go to those. So uh, we're doing everything that we can to make sure that they're comfortable in those roles. And I think you saw some inexperience surface. Um, but we're doing everything we can to make sure that those meetings going forward are handled in a professional, respectful manner. Okay, yeah, I think uh, one thing that'd be helpful, I mean, because I've led other meetings besides uh, going up for vice, wise vice mayor, um, is possibly doing like a joint meeting or individual meetings on rules of order. Because I know there's, you know, Rosenberg, which is like a 300 page document, or we usually follow Robert's rules of order, which is much more condensed and can be fairly vague sometimes. So if we can get a breakdown on yeah, how we actually, or maybe come to sense on how we actually want to present the rules of order for not just council, but the commissions and any committees. So we're all standard on the same process on how it works. We're happy to do that, but I do know that our attorney's office um, meets with the, both commissions yeah. again and provides all those um, instructions and, and yeah. training. So if you'd like to have some more training, we'll be happy to give it. Yeah. I think we need a couple of special sessions so let's add that to the calendar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Vice Mayor Stockton. Yes, thank you, Chair. Um, I just wanted to uh, thank the community for the ceremony to go on, on Friday the 16th, or it was well attended. And I know that there was a proclamation, I believe, that, that the mayor did. So I wanted to thank the mayor for doing that and thank everyone who helped plan that event and um, that attended it to honor the, the individuals that that, that um, were prisoners of war missing in action. Um, on the 16th, we also celebrated the 125th anniversary of the Opera House. I know that the, um, the Overs used the venue for a lot of, a lot of different ph philanthropic events, and it's really exciting to see something that's been around 
that long still being utilized to kind of do good and, and bring exciting things here to Vacaville. Um, this last weekend, uh, we also had a Wild West Film Festival downtown, which was exciting. There was people on horses. Um, there uh, was quite a bit of, of, there was a lot of folks there and there was a really unique opportunity to see kind of entry level filmmaking um, that, that a lot of folks in the community got, got involved with, which was absolutely fantastic um, to, to experience. And then lastly, um, there was a series of, uh, there was a couple burglaries that occurred with one of our downtown businesses that was, was pretty frustrating. And I just wanted to absolutely tip my hat to the police department. Um, I, I made some phone calls. I talked to some of the folks and they actually made an arrest and apprehended the individual that broke in and uh, terrorized one of our businesses a couple times. And so I just wanted to thank the Vacaville Police Department, their hard work Thanks. and actually uh, put the bad guy behind custody. So thank you for that. That's it. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah. Sorry, I do have a couple other things. Um, other ones that we, I brought up uh, before, I know Councilmember Silva's brought up as well, is uh, regarding the smoking downtown on the sidewalks. We've made any progress on either enforcing the current California standards of 25 feet in front of businesses and restaurants or doing a smoking ban on downtown uh, Main Street and Merchant, those main thoroughfares. Because, yeah, it was just downtown the, the other night, and there's fairly large group of people smoke marijuana on the sidewalk right in front of uh, a bar. And so it's still an ongoing issue. So we're working as a collective team and working definitely with our police department and seeing, you know, the availability of resources and how we can address some of the, the recent challenges that are occurring down there. And uh, we're putting some additional effort into that. Um, that may require some longer term enforcement that um, we may or may not be able to put the resources to that at this time. But that's something that we know is on the council's radar. And as we move forward, we'll see how we can continue to allocate resources to, to enforce that. Because that will be, um, depending on you know the sources, something that may require some investment in that. Yeah. Is there any possibility of like a social host uh, ordinance like what we've done for other things? Because it's primarily a couple establishments that it's their patrons that are out front doing that. We can certainly look at that, whether or not it's in, in the current purview or if we have to modify the ordinance to, to include that. We can take a look at that. I mean, at least in the short term, uh, apply California's blanket standards to the smoking in front of the freeways. Uh, I think I'll, that'd solve a lot. I'll work with the chief. Yeah, I can also work with the chief too. But uh, I did have one other thing uh, brought up mostly because the uh, 150,000 we're putting towards the arts plan, uh, uh, potentially putting together some type of ad hoc committee with council members, Parks and Rec, and yeah, members of Business Vacaville, whoever else, to help guide those new policies and the, the study that comes from that. That way, it's not completely on staff to form all that, and that way, they get input of the council members that are bugging staff and different uh, businesses to certain things well you never bug us um but uh absolutely as you heard tonight it will be a a, a very proactive engaged yeah. effort and so we'll figure out the structure of that and then you know as we get ready to to uh roll out an rfp for that um and move forward with it we'll include that as part of the the governance and the proposal and so that that will be presented to the city council for your your evaluation yeah. 
no, it's a little early, but yeah, looking at more professionalizing the, or moving the Arts Advisory Committee under Council of Parks and Rec or making a more regular. See, now you're getting into the weeds that the study will will evaluate gotcha. and come back with the recommendations for governance. So that will absolutely be part of the council's, you know, opportunity to have that discussion. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, with that, we're gonna move to closed session. We will not be reporting anything up. So good night, Vacaville.